Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler and... With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Randy. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm. Uh, I-, I played some golf yesterday in a golf tournament to benefit the uh, Crohn's Disease and Colitis Foundation. Had a great time out there. Everybody was exceptionally nice, and we raised a bunch of money. And it was great to see that in the midst of the pandemic with all of the issues that we're facing economically in our country so many people wanted to do a get out of their house and do something which was properly socially distanced but also contribute to charities and i know charities are taking huge hits this spring and summer so i was honored to be a part of it and i was so glad to see so many people involved in contributing to charity well there's so many things that are out of our control right now being able to donate to a charity that you know is going to directly help or benefit a cause that means something to you or perhaps someone that's suffering from that cause is something nice that you can control and that you can do so i'm not surprised to see that people from st louis would rally around a a great cause like that there's a website called charity navigator and every year i think like for the last 25 years they list the most charitable communities per capita, and every year St. Louis is in the top three. Wow. That doesn't surprise me, though, me at either. all. No, that's just who we are. That it's our, really is. It, when they talk about a community being made up of great people, that's a pretty good definition of the, the idea that you have great people, isn't it? It really is. And in addition to that, this is just a quick aside. I was thinking yesterday about how much I love living here. And, you know, you're you're out on a run or you're out walking your dog. Everyone's waving hello. They're saying, how are you? People are just generally more pleasant here, I think. And with that comes wanting to be part of a community. And, it, you know, even if it's it's just a simple gesture of saying hello to someone. It shows that you you care about the people in your community. And so I'm not surprised to see it taken to the charity aspect. And we are a caring community. And that's why today St. Louis Cardinal fans should be happy that Jordan Hicks has decided to opt out. He said yesterday on Instagram, after much thought and consideration, I have decided to opt out of the 2020 season. I'd like to thank the Cardinals and my teammates for their support in my decision. I look forward to being a part of winning a World Series in 2021 for Cardinal Nation and using my platform to create more awareness for the diabetic community. He's a type 1 diabetic. And Jordan finished his post by saying, hashtag type 1 strong, hashtag diabetic phenom. Michelle, if Jordan Hicks were my son, and I know if he were your brother, you would want him to opt out. I would not want my son, a type 1 diabetic, playing sports in this scenario that other players are playing in. Absolutely not. I completely respect his decision. I know it couldn't have been an easy decision for him to arrive at. 
I mean, you think about battling back from an injury, and the only thing that gets you through those really tough days is thinking about the day that you return to your craft and the day that you return to your team and to competition. And to think that he would be right there on the precipice of that and have to make this incredibly difficult decision to not participate with this team because of this pre-existing condition, even though it's probably the smart thing for him mm-hmm. to do from a health and safety standpoint. It's so, it couldn't have been easy, so I respect his decision and I look forward to watching him in action next season. And if the Cardinals, and I know the Cardinals are responsible, If he would have come back on August 15th with a month and a half left in this season, the responsible thing would have been to never have him close the game. Coming off of the Tommy John, I mean right off of the Tommy John, Mm -hmm. you got to build a guy back up. You just can't allow him to go in and give 100% and throw 105 miles an hour with the intensity of the ninth inning just coming off of Tommy John. This will give him an entire extra year, essentially, uh, well, not a year, but a full season. And he'll be able to work out all off season and prepare for next February, hopefully. And when we do see Jordan Hicks back in action, watch out. Oh, man, he's going to be throwing 110. That's right. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, having him opt out because of these conditions, it kind of underscores that these players are people. They're human beings, and they have to do what's best for them. And we've seen players across baseball and other teams make this decision. Um, and we had even talked about it with Danny Mack. He was the first person to bring up, hey, he's, he has diabetes. He's a diabetic. He should probably be putting this into consideration when he's making his decision to return because we look at it strictly from a baseball standpoint for a long time. Will he physically be ready to throw? When will he be ready to come back? And these are human beings with health concerns, with family members with health concerns, and they're going into a very uncertain situation. So I'm not surprised that he made this decision. I don't think it could have been easy for him, but as a human being who's talking about another human being, I'm glad that he made this decision and did not put himself in this position. And he does get paid as if he were an active player. He does get service time as if he was an active player. So essentially, this is an injury. Just think of him as being on the I.L., for the rest of the season. Now, this comes on the heels, Michelle, of course, of the Cardinals losing John Brebby to Tommy John surgery. Hedesis Cabrera has tested positive for COVID-19. Giovanni Gallegos is still in Mexico and hasn't been able to get out of there. Out of there. Alex Reyes, for reasons unknown, hasn't been able to get to the field yet. So, a two-parter here. And by the way, we'd love to have you weigh in via the mic drop feature, the Rhino Shield mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app, or you can send us a text with the... Uh, Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Are you concerned about the bullpen? Ben Fredrickson today at stltoday.com points out that right now the Cardinals don't have 48% of the innings that they had last year out of their bullpen. The group of pitchers right now that is out was responsible for 48% of the 561 relief innings the Cardinals produced in, in 2019. So are you concerned and secondarily... Maybe first, Darily. Let's assume that right now you're going to put Carlos Martinez in the starting rotation. Who's your closer now? Andrew Miller? Maybe. I mean, Randy, as you're counting out those names, Hicks, Brebia, Cabrera, Gallegos, Reyes, I could feel my blood pressure going up. My My heart rate started going up and up and up. You start thinking, wow. That's not one name. That's five. As Ben and Fred points out, that's, those five names, that's almost 50% right. of the outs that you generated last season out of the bullpen. That's the problem. 
Yes. That's a big problem. It's a it's a massive problem. So I, that's something that I, I, I. This is why we talked about the Cardinals having twenty two major league pitchers. They're using their depth, but they're going to use all of their depth. And you have to believe at this point that Gallegos and Cabrera and Reyes really have no chance of being ready for opening day. No. You, one would logically assume that. Right. So I, I would think that those guys will wind up at that camp, although that camp in Springfield starts a little bit later. But maybe they'll be with the major league team or working out here in St. Louis trying to get ready. But it's going to take an If those guys would come back today, it'll probably take an extra four or five days for them to get up to a point where they could throw an inning in a major league game. Wow. So names that you're circling, Helsley, right? Absolutely. He becomes a huge part, maybe the biggest part of this bullpen. Yep. Miller. Yep. How about KK? As a closer? Yes. I would like to see it first. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that's why we keep, you know, no matter which names we list as we go down the guys available, you're going to return to Carlos Martinez at some point. Yeah, you are. And KK in the starting rotation, you signed him as insurance to be a starting pitcher anyway. And... I always go back to this short schedule, and I have to focus in on the idea that the Cardinals are only playing 60 games and can't afford to give games away. And that's the biggest issue for me in regards to having Martinez, because I know he can get the 27th out down there. And he did say last week, I'll do whatever it takes. Well, now, with the knowledge that Hicks isn't coming back... You have to look at Carlos as your closer for the remainder or for the entirety of the season. You would think so. And I know that Mike Schultz is a great manager of men. People really respect the way that he handles people from a personality standpoint. And I think you go to Carlos and you say, listen, I know that you desperately want to be a starting pitcher, Mm -hmm. but look, you are so valuable to us. You might be the most valuable person getting the baseball on this team. So while it might not be in the role that you envisioned, you are going to be a major, a major piece of this puzzle almost every game. And you say, okay, you go into the bullpen for the 60 regular season games, you close for us in the World Series, and then when we come back in 2021, Jordan Hicks is our closer and you're in the rotation. For the last couple of years of your contract, you are in the starting rotation, and I promise you that. Then you have to promise him that. And then you have to Hope live up to the happens. promise. <laughs> yeah. Let me give you one other name. And I love your Andrew Miller idea because he's the one guy, aside from Martinez, that has recorded the 27th out. Mm-hmm. And things have changed. I, I must have said, hey, Google, or something like that, because uh, the weather forecast is coming to you over the radio how from it, my how, phone. How are we looking today from a weather standpoint, Randy? Hot. Really sunny and Great. hot. Perfect. Andrew Miller, because of the fact that he, there's no such thing as a lefty specialist anymore because you have to face three hitters. I look at him as a much more viable option, whether it's, he's got to pitch to three hitters, whether it's in the seventh or the eighth, why not have it be the ninth? Mm -hmm. That's a possibility. And another guy who threw well in high leverage situations last year was John Gant. And we haven't talked about him, but, but he has really good stuff. He's got a great demeanor, and for the first half of last year, 100 and, uh, 105 games, he really threw the ball well in one-inning stints. Now, it wasn't in the ninth inning, but he seems to have a, a great demeanor about him. I, again, I don't know if you take the chance, but he's a guy that at least has the physical abilities to go down there and close for you. That's an interesting option that I hadn't really considered. So, But he's probably... 
at the moment with Gallegos not around, your eighth inning guy, and or Miller, and then I think you're looking at either Helsley or Carlos, and maybe you go all the way down to the wire. Maybe even let Helsley start as your closer, or somebody start as your closer, and make the decision to put Carlos in the closer's role during the season. Just find out. Wait until somebody blows a save. And if it happens to be after they've recorded 15 in a row, then you let them close. That is one approach. I, I think I would take the approach of, hey, this is going to be your role. Because if he if he continues let to get him a, mentally prepare yeah, for Yeah, if he keeps getting a taste of being a starter, it's going to be that much more difficult, I think, for him to turn the page and say, okay, that's not going to happen for me this season. At least that's the way it would feel for me. If this is something I really wanted and I saw, okay, wait, they're going to give Randy the opportunity to fill this role and then you blow it and then it's like, you know, I I wouldn't want to be internally even kind of rooting for my, my, well, I guess you'd be rooting for their success, obviously. But if they Mm -hmm. failed, you wouldn't want it to be like, man, that's my job. There is a mindset to being a closer, though. Right. And I'm with you there. So you probably bring him in today. And say, look, Carlos, same thing that we said. We love you. We think you're a great starting pitcher, but you are our MVP. And that means that for us to win the World Series this year, we need you down there in the ninth inning. You are the X factor. That's a pretty good thing to say to a guy, isn't it? You would think so. You go, we go. You go, we go. Although then you get Fowler being jealous. (laughs) Our success is your, your success is our success. Right. As you go, so go the Cardinals. So we just made a decision for you, Mike Schilt. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up, the Blues have started training camp. And, well, the Cardinals are missing some guys. So are the Blues during this pandemic. We don't know if it's pandemic-related. We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. Who's Support for Carriker and Smallman is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Now, we know we've all heard stories about a funny or painful manscaping situation, but that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest trimmer ever created, and they just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. This third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. And when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery's going to last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. And one of the coolest features, the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. Now, if you're listening to me speak right now, I actually want you to experience this firsthand for yourself. And here's how you're going to do it. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code SMALLS, that's S-M-A-L-L-S, at manscaped.com. One more time, 20% off plus free shipping with the code SMALLS at manscaped.com. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Baseball has summer camp 2020. 
sponsored by Camping World, uh, (laughs) underway. And now the Blues have training camp underway as they get ready to head to their pod and play their first game on August 2nd. And by the way, their pod is in Edmonton, but training camp is at Centene Ice Center over in Maryland Heights. And it was great to see a video of the Blues back on the ice yesterday. The Blues are back, Randy. Let's go. The Stanley Cup champions trying to defend their first ever Stanley Cup championship. And man, it has been a long and winding road since March 12th, four months since the Blues have been on the ice and tried to play a real game. And Doug Armstrong, the Blues' poho, was asked yesterday if after these four months he thought this ever would happen. Well, I, I think at the start you you tried to say, okay, well, how are you going to get this done? And then, you know, when I went to hub cities, you had a little more comfort level. Then, quite honestly, Jim, they had talked about four hub cities. I think going to two uh, made it sound like every step they've taken, you you start your belief grows a little bit. Obviously, what's happening in the United States right now with uh, uh, the number of tests being positive, you had a little bit of a scare maybe 10 days ago, two weeks ago, that were they going to be able to pull this off. And I think when you look at the the precautions the NHL and NHLPA have taken, uh, I feel really comfortable that if we can get through these uh, couple of weeks and get up there, uh, there are going to be some setbacks, some roadblocks, things are going to happen and you have to just be able to roll with it. But, you know, as, as the guys got here and uh, as phase two got longer, farther and farther into it and, and our guys kept having negative and negative tests, it made us feel really good that we're in a good spot. And the Blues did not have a couple of key performers on the ice yesterday, Michelle. Pareko and Bortuzzo weren't there. Um, Army jokingly said that uh, they got new phone numbers during the course of the pandemic and he wasn't able to get in touch with them. Yeah, they didn't know there was a skate yesterday, right? They didn't <laughs> right. know the team would be meeting at Centene. You couldn't get a hold of them. Yeah, but there were some scares and it was a... Uh, meandering road to get to yesterday, wasn't it? Yes, and we still have to finish out this phase to get to the hub cities. And I I think anything you're reading about the team, that's kind of their rallying cry, as Jim Thomas put in the post-dispatch, is just let's get to the bubble. Let's get through these next two weeks. But as Army said, there's going to be obstacles and roadblocks even getting through this this stretch at Centene. And, you know, everybody's got to be very careful, very cautious, and very smart about their actions so they can actually get to the hub cities. Okay, I, I just want to get your reaction here. And I, I, I'm, I don't even, I'm not going to look at you, but okay. uh, I just want you to tell me what uh, you felt like when you learned that uh, Vladimir Tarasenko was practicing with the Blues. Uh, unbridled joy. <laughs> I know. Excitement. <laughs> There's a smile. I mean, <laughs> Randy, you can't get enough of that video right now. Even seeing the tweet, like, Vladimir Tarasenko has officially been act- uh, activated. You're like, yes, that, those are such sweet words. And think about the the dark void that's been in our lives without sports. To just even know that he's coming back, but to hear, hey, he is activated. He is out on the ice. He is looking sharp. He looks crisp. He is hungry. He is ready to go. I cannot wait to see Vladimir Tarasenko unleashed. There are a ton of X-Factors in the entire league among all the teams that are going to participate. But I think he's the biggest X-Factor in the whole league relative to what we saw before the break. And granted, it's been four months and everybody is healthy now. But relative to what we saw before the break, how much better are the Blues, who are the top team in the West, with their best player, their, their best forward? With a 30-plus goal scorer being added to your list and an all-world talent, I think that that puts the Blues in a pretty good position. And as we talked about yesterday, if every team is rested and you're coming back essentially at the same ground zero, that means that talent and culture and identity of your team, your style of play, is what's going to win out. I mean, obviously... 
let's hope that no one gets sick. Let's assume that everyone continues to be healthy because the virus is the true X factor in all of this, obviously. But if everyone remains healthy and everyone's rested, you have to look at those factors. And the Blues not only have the talent, they have the style of play and they have the mental toughness needed to go into an uncertain situation like this. And I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I just think this team specifically is built for this situation more than any other team, any other Blues team that you can remember in history. Well, and think about the way that they won the Cup last year by winning 10 road games. Mm -hmm. 10 of their 16 wins were road games. Is there any team better equipped to deal with the adversity of having no fans and not being energized by your home fans? Well, they won with people booing them last year and being completely quiet when they scored. The Blues enjoy making the opposing arena quiet. And so this will be right at home for them. It will. And I think, you know, having that mental toughness that comes from your coach and then is enforced throughout the players, it's just such a team effort. It's such it we we I always use identity and culture, but it's because it's so ingrained in them. It's not something that needs to be preached to them. It's just something that's inherently inside of them, which is really impressive and it's gonna bode very well for them in this uncertain situation. Here's Army on number ninety one. Yeah, well, Vladdy was participating in uh, phase two here, and I've been able to get a glimpse of him, of him through that time frame, and his shot is still dynamic. Uh, he seems to, I was saying to one of the coaches today, he seems to score at will. Uh, that's something that uh, you, you sort of take for granted when you're watching him every day, and then you realize how special it is when you don't get to see him for four months, and, or four or five months, actually, so or longer. So it's a, it was great to see him out there. He looks fantastic. Uh, uh, I know he's still knocking off some of the rust, and I think having the exhibition game and then the three uh, preliminary games is going to benefit someone like Vladi who hasn't played in a long time. Nine months. November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July. Nine months we haven't wow. seen him. <laughs> it's far too long. It is. And he's been working out. Yep. He, I've seen the Instagrams, Randy. Th- I have seen it. Yeah. He has been working out. And what Army said is so true preseason games, and then, like Curbs told us yesterday, the Blues, not that they aren't going to care about those games they play in Edmonton against Colorado, Dallas, and Vegas, but they're going to use those games to knock rust off because they know who they are. They know what they are. Right, and at the end of the day, they're inconsequential. That's exactly what those games are built for, is for you to knock the rust off, to get yourself sharp and ready to go, and to find that rhythm again, to find your game. So, Army, are you going to have a team that's ready? Well, they have to. <laughs> uh, it's not something that they're going to they're going to do a straw poll and say, let's put this back a few days. Uh, I, I believe our guys are pros. I believe they've taken great care of themselves. Uh, I know that they want to play and uh, I, I, I know we'll be ready. The key is going to be. And this is with the knowledge that Tarasenko is coming back. There are two keys. Number one is Jordan Bennington going to be Jordan Bennington. Mm-hmm. But. We don't know why Bortuzzo and Pareko weren't on the ice yesterday. The Blues are good because they're great defensively and they have great defensive depth. Obviously, Pareko is at the top mm-hmm. of that. And Bortuzzo is a really good player. When you have Robert Bortuzzo as a sixth or seventh guy, that means you're really, really good defensively. And it's imperative that the Blues get those guys back. And you talk about health. Not just COVID-19 health, but uh, the, the bumps and bruises and the strains that come from playing hockey. Blues need to keep those defensemen healthy. 
And it was great to hear Army say that they'll be back in short order and that they're not allowed to talk about it. But he said hopefully you'll see them on the ice sometime this week. So it's nice to think that those guys will be returning soon. Really important. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And the Blues are back. And we have spent two segments talking about sports. We spent one talking about Cardinal baseball and another talking about Blues hockey. And you know what, Randy? When we were talking about those initial games, I, I didn't even ask you if you care about seating. We still have more to talk about with, yeah. with the Blues and with sports. This is a great day. <laughs> it really is. It is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, A-Rod and Jennifer Lopez have added some firepower to their bid to buy the Mets. We want to know if you were putting together a group to buy a team, who would you want to add? We'll tell you who they've added to their group, and we'll tell you who we would add, and then we want to know who you would want to buy a team with. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We already have some of your texts. We do want your Rhino Shield mic drops with the 101 ESPN app. Who would you like to buy a team with? This from the 636. I would want the next Bill Veck as part of my ownership group to help breathe some life into the sport. So somebody who's highly creative from a marketing standpoint. That would be smart. From the 314, I would want to buy a team with Michael Jordan, a multi-sport athlete. He's rich and wants to win at everything he does. He wants to, but he already owns a team. I was going to say, you know, the one thing that he hasn't been great at is ownership. Right. Yeah, That's the one thing. Plus, after watching The Last Dance, can you imagine if you did something wrong? If you oh, were a yeah. part owner and you made a bad investment or something and then you had to deal with the wrath of Michael? No thanks. No way. I would not want to be. All of a sudden, you go into Michael's office and he's like, now it's personal for me. <laughs> right. like, great. So you're going to dedicate <laughs> your entire life to I'm ruining done. me. I love it. <laughs> From the 314, I would want to own a team with Snoop Dogg. No particular reason. I think the there best. might be one particular reason. Why, Randy? Because they enjoy rap music? Yeah, that's it. Okay, great. Yeah, they would have some great team ownership parties. They would be better partiers than the players would. Oh, without a doubt. Snoop and Martha Stewart in the box is going to be an awesome time. That's going to be great. All right. So you are buying a pro sports franchise, Michelle. Who do you and let's tell you that A-Rod and Jennifer Lopez have added Brian Urlacher, Bears Hall of Famer, Mm -hmm. uh, NFL Super Bowl champ Travis Kelsey. And uh, 2014 NFL Offensive Player of the Year, DeMarco Murray. That is uh, just a portion of the group joining A-Rod and J-Lo to purchase the New York Mets. So that's their group. Well, I also think it's very important that we add our own St. Louis and Bradley Beal in that group, too. I mean, of all the names listed, to me, that's the most important one. Biggest one, yeah. Yeah. All right, so... Who are you going with? Who who are your celebrity rich people that you want to add so that you can buy a franchise with them and uh, hang in the owner's box with them? So, Randy, I gave this a lot of thought last night when we initially pitched the idea because, to me, there's a couple factors that go into this. You've got to have the capital, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't want us to be worried about the money. It has to be something where I'm going to enjoy hanging out with you, at right. least to some extent. And... To where I'm going to feel like my voice could at least carry a little weight if I'm a co-owner. With Michael Jordan, my voice is going to carry zero weight. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan is automatically going to know way more than me about this, even if he's not a great owner. But you're not going to really have shared equity. Even if you have a shared equity from a financial standpoint, everything is going to have to go through Michael. Right. So when I was thinking about all of these factors last night, I landed on 
George Clooney, Randy. And let me tell you why. Okay. George Clooney is a very rich man. Not only has he earned hundreds of millions of dollars from his acting career, people forget about that Casamigos money. People forget that he sold Casamigos with his partners for a cool billion, Randy. He's got a net worth of about $500 million per my research. Think about this. Casamigos Stadium. We have unbelievable tequila cocktails that you're getting at the concourse. Not to mention, everybody loves George Clooney. Everybody. Mm -hmm. He's got big celebrity friends internationally. Everybody here in St. Louis, when he came to do Up in the Air, raved about what a great guy he was. So he's got friends in high places. He's got friends that are just average bears like you and I. I think that he could mingle with the best of them. He's so great with the media. Anytime that there's any sort of issue, George Clooney's going to get up to the podium, you know, reveal that smile, make a joke, talk, do the Peyton Manning and talk to the reporters by name. He's going to win over any crowd. Plus, I would like to think, too, he's got this huge villa in Italy. Think about it, recruiting people to come play for our team. We would just put them up in Italy for a weekend. We're, we're going to um, to the, the boathouse in Italy. We're having a great time. Of course you're going to want to sign with us. That's a great call. George Clooney's my pick. Okay, so he's your number one? He's my number one. Now, you get multiple partners here. Okay. Well, the only other one I landed on, and this is, it's not tied for first. It's a clear second place because I think George, George Clooney is the number ultimate one. pick for me. What about Kylie Jenner? And hear me out. I know what you're thinking. You're rolling your eyes. You're being like a Kardashian, a Jenner, really, Michelle? Hear me out. She's a billionaire. Mm-hmm. So you definitely have the money. You're going to get the publicity no matter what. But I don't think she really wants to be involved from an operation standpoint. She would just want the naming rights and she would want to be seen in the box with her family and maybe mingle with the players during some extracurricular activities, some boat parties or whatever. But I don't think she would care about the construction of the team and the operations side. So if I'm a co-owner with Kylie, I would be like, thank you for your money. Now let me hire people that I think are well-equipped to run this franchise in a successful manner. And I would like to think that being in the sports world a little bit, that she would defer to me. Mm -hmm. Plus, we know she loves to date rappers. So think about the entertainment you could provide. Halftime shows, Travis Scott, maybe Drake works in the mix. Kanye could be there at some well if we want Kanye there he could be there um, but you're gonna you're gonna get positives from her as far as the money and the publicity but I don't think from a day to day she's not gonna be Jerry Jones Randy she's not gonna say yep. hey make me the GM I want to be picking players okay yeah. so I I wanted people primarily with financial clout that I thought I could have fun with and would allow me to like you want to do hire the people that know how to build a winner so I, I want entertainment in my owner's box, and I, I want financial clout, but I don't want, like you don't want, too much interference. Mm-mm. So the first person I'm going with is Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, good pick. Very funny in terms of recruiting players. He's somebody that all the players, even the younger players, should have at least, except for Cody Bellinger, right? Right. Should have a, a pretty good idea of who he is. But once you meet Jerry Seinfeld, uh, like George Clooney, friendly guy, everybody enjoys being around him, very uh, quick with a joke, a great observation. And I, I would think that even like um, uh, comedians uh, riding in cars, drinking coffee, I think that that kind of a show would appeal to athletes. And the, the big thing for me is that he's going to have money, but he's not going to be overloaded with trying to uh, to make the, the team in his image. The other person that I want up in that owner's box is Oprah. That is a great call. 
Yep. Uh, multi-billionaire. Yes. And she, got the capital. She, she likes sports. She likes things. She wants to make money, but she also has a great understanding of what she doesn't know. So, and obviously, she's somebody who has just across-the-board popularity. There are people that are going to buy tickets to watch your team simply because Oprah is up in the owner's box. Randy, imagine the Christmas gifts throughout the organization when Oprah is in charge. Oh, man. You get a Maserati. You get a Maserati. <laughs> you get a Maserati. You get a Maserati. It's going to be great. Not only that, Oprah is so in tune with feelings and communication. Yep. I'm getting a Phil Jackson vibe if Oprah's at the helm. Pl- mm-hmm. Player psychology is going to be a big thing. We're going to be meditating. We're going to be going to therapy. We're going to really be in tune with our issues, which is going to free the players' minds so that they can be unlocked once they hit the field. And one more thing with my two people. Are there any two people who know how to make money from television more than Jerry Seinfeld and Oprah? They both made a billion dollars by producing their own material for television, and they know how to deal with TV networks. Big time. And and sponsors right. with those TV networks. Yeah, so those are my two. All right, your texts and your mic drops. Let's get back to your texts uh, from the 314. Kylie Jenner may be worth close to a billion, but her entire net worth is tied up in her company. She wouldn't have the cash flow required to help a team without selling her own company. Come on, Michelle. I don't know about that. A billion dollars is a billion dollars. Yeah. And she can make more. She's How old is she? 25? Something like that? I think she's like 21 or 22. Yeah. And not not only that, she can sell out anything in an instant because of her social media platform. She doesn't even have an advertising arm of her company because all she has to do is do a quick video on Instagram and things sell out like that. So imagine if you're debuting a New Jersey and Kylie Jenner is putting it on Instagram or on Snapchat or whatever she does. You're going to make a lot of money from your organization because of her social media reach. Whether you like her or not, she does have the reach and the power. Here's a combo for you from the 815. Peyton Manning and John Hamm. Interesting. You would have a fun group. Yes, you would. Uh, Manning is well-heeled. I don't know if John Hamm is in that that billion-dollar area, but he certainly has a lot of money, and he certainly is a sports fan. So that would be fun to have him on your side, especially if you were buying a St. Louis team. Oh, for sure. If you're buying a St. Louis team, it's a no-brainer. Here's that, another one. That's my only issue, though. If you're not buying a St. Louis team, he's got clear allegiances. Yes, he does. You know, yeah. I mean, when I looked up George Clooney, he's from Kentucky, so he's he's got that Midwestern mm-hmm. Southern vibe. But he's I was reading he's kind of a Bengals fan, but I don't think he has one clear team the way that John Hamm does. Yeah. Here's another one: uh, Brad Paisley and Peyton Manning. Why? Because of the commercials. Commercials, and they've got a lot of money. Yeah, does Brad, I don't I don't know much about Brad Paisley and his net worth. Let's find out. Let's get research on this. Okay. I would love to own a team with Leonardo DiCaprio, says this text from the 636. He's so forward-thinking when it comes to ideas surrounding helping our planet recover. I feel we could be at the forefront of having a stadium with clean, delicious, organic foods and an overall environment, environmentally friendly stadium. Love that thought. That's a great thought. Leonardo DiCaprio also has the cool factor. Yeah. he He's a guy that you, uh, if you want to... Sell season tickets. You have a potential season ticket party with Leo DiCaprio or Clooney. He would be awesome. Or Seinfeld or Oprah. The, the selling of season tickets and selling to sponsors would be so much easier if you had those people. Uh, stats and info returned this, Randy. Brad Paisley, net worth $95 million. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, from the 314, Elon Musk and Pat McAfee. 
Those would be fun. Pat McAfee. <laughs> yeah. I thought of this one off the bat from the 636, and this is a great call. Tom Hanks, everything that guy touches turns to gold. And he's very likable. Yeah. So he would be fantastic. And uh, finally, from the uh, two more, uh, this one from the 636, Dave Peacock, our buddy, would be awesome. Awesome. And that's a guy that if if you have our group that's well-heeled, Especially in our town, if you want to put a guy in charge and get everybody to like you, you just put Dave in charge because everybody loves Dave. They sure do. And they know that he's got St. Louis's best interests at heart. Yeah. And then the last one from the 314, I would like to own a team with Ozzy. Everybody loves Ozzy and he would open the door to allow me to meet other great people. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. So great calls and uh, great groups. We, We would have some ownership groups, wouldn't we? With the, the list of people that we turned out and the people that are the smartest listenership in radio turned out. I love this one. What about Tiger Woods and Will Ferrell together? Oh, that would be really interesting. I, I wonder how those two would coexist. The only thing with Tiger Woods is he's so intense. Right. He has got that Michael Jordan quality well, where the, he's going to pour every ounce of himself into it. Here's the other thing. He doesn't spend money. Like, he would work out. He would go train with Navy SEALs. For hours at a time, and they would work really hard with him and teach him everything they knew. And then they would go out to dinner, and he would uh, allow everybody to pay for their own meal. Hmm. So, it's kind of cheap. Imagine if you're recruiting other investors, Randy, or players, and then Tiger says, hey, you owe me, you know, $73.22. Exactly. Yeah, it's not a good look. It's not the play. And I've got Clooney who's like, take my Lake Como house for a week. Enjoy. (laughs) Right. You know? So uh, that's in. Do guys want to go to Italy to be recruited? I, I know he's got the Italian villa. But, guys- but when you think about it, guys could go to Vegas. They could go to Miami. They're used to that, right? Mm-hmm. It's a completely the different. The Hamptons. It's a completely different look to go to Lake Como in Italy and feel very yeah. glamorous and Italian. And not only that, there's not a lot of prying eyes there. The paparazzi uh-huh. is not going to be, you know, staked out in Lake Como. Maybe the European paparazzi, but they don't care about American sports over there. They're not going to be like, oh, True. you know, whatever sport we're buying. Oh, an American baseball player is at George Clooney's. Um, a Lake Como Villa. They're not going to care and stalk them. So it's going to be a nice time away to do really whatever you want. I'm kind of rooting for A-Rod and J-Lo here. Me to, too. To I think it, it would be really interesting. And I love the thought of A-Rod owning the Mets. Yeah, that'd be fun. Take it or leave it. Coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle and I love to rip on the NFL during breaks. It's just, kind of our favorite pastime. <laughs> <laughs> kind of is. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. So you're saying, what are you guys talking about? Tell me what's going on. So we'll take you behind the curtain during the break. We were talking about how uh, and how did we get into the conference? Oh, we're talking about how the L.A. is a Lakers town. And so we, we wondered how the NFL expected to penetrate L.A. with two teams when 50% of... L.A. is Hispanic, mm-hmm. so you have a lot of 
inherently soccer fans. That's what they grew up with as their sport. Then it's a Dodgers, uh, a Lakers town, then a Dodgers town. So you move two NFL teams there and disenfranchise three passionate fan bases so that you can do that. There was just so little foresight, right? I don't think they cared and or care about the fan bases, though. It's all about the stadium and it's all about the valuation of the franchise and it's all about the TV rights. But here's the fan bases, though. You've got 2.8 million people here. And granted, you're still getting okay TV ratings. And you had a couple of million people in Oakland and a little fewer, like two and a half million in San Diego. So you disenfranchise at least 50% of all of those fans. That's a pretty good chunk of people that is no longer buying from NFL properties and not buying jerseys and stuff anymore. And you could have made money off of those people. That's where I'm looking at it. That's the way I would have thought about it, too. But has it made a dent in their earnings? Not yet. Not yet, but I think that all they care about is Stan Kroenke does not care about the money that's coming from the from the fans. I think he's looking at, oh, as soon as I move my team, look at where my valuation went. Well, that's that's exactly right. That's true. The valuation of the teams is enormous. But I, I just wonder if the league with two teams is ever going to really make a dent in that market. Or if, like you said, do they even care? I, I don't think they'll make a dent, and I don't think they care. And it doesn't it just feel like the clock is ticking on the NFL? And I know we say that from a, a place of bitterness, but objectively, if you look at it, people are not coming to games the way that they used to. People are not playing football. Young people are not playing football in the amounts that they used to. I just wonder in 20 years what the NFL viewing experience is going to look like. Ask yourself this. Realistically speaking, with 49 of the top 50 rated TV shows in America in 2018. I don't know about 2019. 2018, 49 of the top 50 rated TV shows were NFL games. That's amazing. How much more can the NFL grow in America? It can grow globally, no doubt. But how much more can the NFL grow in America, or has it reached its apex? You would think they're sitting at the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. You'd think so. And so there's really only one way to go from there. Time for Tioli. Tanner has your text, 65780 for us. Tanner, take it away. From the 314, take it or leave it. Dakota Hudson, Matt Carpenter, and Ryan Helsley, plus another piece, will be what it, what it takes to acquire Nolan Arenado. Can you say those names again? Matt Carpenter, Dakota Hudson, Ryan Helsley, plus another piece. I'm going to leave that. Um, I, I don't think that it'll take the quality of Helsley. I'm thinking probably because this is going to be a fi- this isn't going to be a baseball deal. This is going to be a financial deal. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking three. Think of McGuire trade. Think. Three mid-level prospects that are close to the major leagues. They gave up Blake Stein, TJ Matthews, and Eric Ludwig in that deal for Mark McGuire. That's what I'm thinking. And then you take on a little bit more of the money. So I'm not going to throw names out there, but I think Helsley and Hudson are both too valuable for the Cardinals to give them up at a deal. But don't you think if you're... Or Arenado. But don't you think if you're the Rockies that you're looking at it, and you're at least wanting those two pieces? Oh, yeah, you want them. But here's the thing. Arenado's not going anywhere else. He's got the no trade. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to pay him $35 million a year because you aren't good enough, and he can't sign other guys because of that contract that you gave him. 
He, yeah. he has all the power. He really does. But, gosh, I just can't imagine them, even from a financial standpoint, being willing to do it for any less. I don't think they'll have any choice. It's kind of like the Marlins with Stanton. It's the, the Yankees didn't give up anything to get Stanton, and the Marlins still paid, what, $10 million a year for his deal. And the Marlins could afford it less than the Rockies can. That's true. Take it or leave it. If the Rockies trade Arenado, they'll blow it up like the Marlins did. I think I'm going to leave that because they have a better system. Not a great system, but a better system and a better group of young players than the Marlins did. The Marlins had to go back to ground zero and rebuild with prospects that they got for Ozuna, Yelich, etc. I don't think the Rockies are that far down system-wise. They've got some pretty decent young talent. And I don't think that, yes, if you remove Arenado from the equation, he's a big, big part of the equation. But to your point, they're not a bad team. And I think that with that coupled with their young talent that they could reboot, mm-hmm. not rebuild. Now, here's one aspect of this. If you're the Rockies, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that their top prospect is a third baseman. Um, but you might ask for either Nunez or Montero. Who are because you've got Gorman and it's Walker, right? The first round draft choice. You've got four third basemen that are going to be in your top 30 prospects, mm-hmm. top 15 prospects. So if you're Colorado, you might want to ask for a guy back in return that plays the same position as Arenado. Uh, actually, their number four prospect in Colorado uh, is Ryan Velotti, and his ETA is 2021, a 6'2, 226 oh. pound power hitter. There you go. Take it or leave it. Vladimir Tarasenko will have five power play goals this postseason. I'm going to take it. I think Vladdy is going to come out unleashed and on fire. This is not going to be as... uh, uh, You're only going to see one game seven this year. Not two like last year. So the Blues are going to play 25 games. Is he going to get five power play goals? I'm going to leave the five power play goals. I'm going to say that he winds up with eight goals in the playoffs, but not five power plates. Okay, so hear me out. I was cleaning out a bag the other day, and I found all of this stuff from the Stanley Cup playoff run. All these articles that I had printed out to read. It was just, it was a very fun walk down memory lane, my <laughs> old press pass, all this stuff. And one of the articles that I was reading was about, about Vladimir Tarasenko, and it was about Why haven't we seen him be the superstar that we expect him to be in the postseason? He's been effective, but he's just not what we expect him to be. And I can't remember if it was in The Athletic, if it was Jeremy Rutherford piece. But anyway, they had interviewed a bunch of people throughout the league, whether it was coaches or general managers, anonymous sources, evaluating him. And they were basically saying it's a mental thing for him. If he is locked in mentally, you see it on another level, but Mm. it's hard to get players of that caliber sometimes to be consistently locked in that that in that mental way. And I think with Vladimir Tarasenko, think about the fact that he's been off for this much time and he's just been thinking about wanting to get back with his teammates and wanting to play. And it's going to be an abbreviated period of time that you're going to need him to be locked in mentally. So he's hungry, he's fresh, and you're only going to need him to maintain that for so long. And I don't know. Reading that made me feel more confident about seeing him come out on fire. Here's the amazing thing about that. Even heading into last year, uh, and remember, he had the one playoff where he'd had the baby and worn out, Mm -hmm. and then another where he wasn't in the best shape. But 
in 2016-17. Obviously, the Blues didn't make the playoffs in 18. 16-17, three goals, three assists, six points in 11 games. So better than a point every other game. Year before that, uh, 20 games, nine goals, six assists, 15 points in 20 playoff games. Uh, the year before that, six goals and an assist in six playoff games. Uh, then four goals and no assists in six playoff games. He's been a pretty darn good playoff player, but... Our expectations of Vladdy are extraordinary. And I think that's the thing is we expect him to be a point of game guy at, during the postseason when everybody is good. He's been pretty darn good. It's just he hasn't been that point of game guy where you'd say, wow, that's unbelievable. It, it hasn't been to where he takes over a series. No. Or a stretch of games where right. he is he is the dominant X factor. Right. But he has the skills to do that. He does. And I think that if you asked Chicago, they'd say, man, he's pretty good against us. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also kind of the beauty of the Blues is that they're such a balanced team that yep. you don't need Vladdy to be that player for them to see success. But I don't wonder if we don't see that out of him at some point. Yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy Tanner. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's Teoli on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Carriker and Smallman are on a mission for opening day. We're going to tell you <laughs> what that mission is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnucks on 101 ESPN. Go 5 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, just to wrap up our last segment talking about Vladdy Tarasenko, in the history of the National Hockey League, there are only 23 players who have scored more goals per game in the playoffs than Vladdy. He has averaged .471 goals per game in the playoffs. He's ahead of people like Phil Esposito, Mark Messier, Jerome Ginla, Guy Lafleur, uh, Nikita Kucherov, uh, Boom Boom Jeffreyon, Ivan Cornwaye, Gordy Howe. Uh, number one all time is Mario at .71 goals per game in the playoffs. But Vladdy has been an elite playoff player. And his skill set maybe exceeds the production. Like you said, if he's mentally engaged, he might even be able to be better. But just what he's done is pretty incredible. It really is. But think about the fact that you could even find another gear out of Vladimir yeah. Tarasenko. That's a scary thought. And right now, if you're wondering about active players, and Gretzky is sixth all time, uh, I'll give you the top six. Lemieux, Bossy, Barry Peterson, Rocket Richard, Cam Neely, and Gretzky. Seventh is Jake Gensel right now. He's the leading active player. Ovechkin is 15th at .508. That's a half a goal a game. And then uh, Vladdy is number three among active players in playoff goals per game. All right. Uh, it is the 14th of July. July 24th is opening day for the Cardinals. Ten days away. Ten days away. Yeah. And opening day is always a great tradition in St. Louis. Michelle Smallman, we were uh, texting last night and we came up with this idea. And this is, I think, incumbent upon the Cardinals and our friends at Anheuser-Busch to do. And, hey, 
Jeremy Rutherford was riding on Grant's trail and saw the the yep. the whole get together. He's got it up on social media. The the whole hitch with the Clydesdales <laughs> and the hitch. We have to be able to watch the Clydesdales at Bush Stadium on TV on opening day. I don't care if there's no fans there. The Clydesdales have to be there on opening day for the Cardinals. They have to be walking along the track, and we have to be able to watch it on TV. So many of the elements of what makes a Cardinals opening day so special are going to be removed from the equation. The Clydesdales are certainly something, theoretically, we think could be part of the opening day ceremonies at Bush Stadium in a safe manner, right? If, if if they aren't a part of it right now, they need to be. This is a plea from Carriker and Smallman. And I know <laughs> that somebody that has some sway at Anheuser-Busch over on Pestalozzi Street, somebody that has some sway in the Cardinal front office uh-huh. can make a phone call down the street and say, hey, let's do this. They're over at Grant's Farm. Just load up the truck with Clydesdales <laughs> and make opening day typical for St. Louis fans by allowing us to watch on FS Midwest the Clydesdales circle the track. And the players would love it. Love it. And watching those Clydesdales circle the track and hearing that organ being played, uh, it just pulls at your heartstrings. It gives you goosebumps. It's going to be such an emotional day anyway because our lives here in St. Louis have have been incomplete without our sports, without our playoff hockey, without our Cardinal baseball. And to think that we could see the Clydesdales in such a regal manner trot around the the stadium, Randy. I'm just getting... I'm getting for Clemps thinking about it. And is this our verbal um, version of a change.org petition? This is what we're doing here? Yeah, we, yeah. I, I don't sign those change.org petitions. No, we don't need to. This is our, this is our version so of we're, it. We're, this is do it from us. This isn't, this isn't <laughs> it's change. It's a demand. Yeah. yeah. And, and we don't need a change. We stay the same.org. It's opening day and the Clydesdales are a tradition. So keep that tradition the same stay the same.org stay continue tradition.org <laughs> right something like that so we've got it here for you and by the way michelle said that it's going to be so emotional so i'm is it okay if i read this text yeah, from of course, you last night of course uh, <laughs> so uh, we're, we're texting last night uh, michelle writes i'm excited just thinking about it i may cry <laughs> but think about then, it. We've missed uh, that aspect of our yeah. lives so much, and we thought it could never happen. There's yeah. still a lot of uncertainty surrounding us arriving at that day. If we yep. get to that first oh, baseball game, and see, we're getting emo- we're getting emotional <laughs> yeah. thinking about it. We have missed it so much. We have craved it. We've been through such a tough few months for so many reasons. To think that we would watch the Clydesdales run around Bush Stadium, and that that yeah. we would hear. The voice of Danny Mac saying, hey, mm-hmm. welcome to Cardinal Baseball. I'm I'm getting emotional thinking about it. It's just going to feel so good and feel so normal. So make it happen, okay? <laughs> it's, we've given you the ideas, and we're idea people. We aren't executors. There are people that are experts at executing things like this. So we're going to be creative for you. We're going to give you all the ideas. All you have to do is execute. It's not that, especially what are we, within a 10 mile radius you've got Bush Stadium, Mm -hmm. you've got Anheuser-Busch you've got Grants Farm, and you've got a bunch of 2,000 pound horses, 25 pound 100 pound horses. Get them to the ballpark, hitch them up take a trip (laughs) around the track, play the organ, bing bang boom. Everyone wears their masks involved. Yeah, so like bing, bing, boom. It seems so easy, right? <laughs> it, uh, it is so easy. I still want the fountains red. I still want yeah. the bunting on the stadium. There's 
if we get the Clydesdales, there's got to be a couple other elements that we could work in, right? Oh, yeah. Tell us the, uh, the the Tony Smallman bunting theory. Oh, my dad, when I was a little kid, when we would go to the stadium, whether it be a postseason game or opening day, he would say to me, hey, kid, you know why? The, you know how you can tell if it's a big game? And I would say, how? He's like, the bunting on the stadium. So now anytime I see bunting, I'm like, it's a big game. Yep. It's so a big day. We definitely need bunting, too, and we need to see it on TV. We do. So uh, that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. Coming up, with all of the arms out of the Cardinal bullpen, who are the arms going to be down there on opening day? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals already knew that they were going to miss Jordan Hicks for a portion of the season. They learned yesterday that Hicks has opted out of this season. He is a type 1 diabetic and certainly is compromised. He has that underlying condition, type 1 diabetes, that would cause him more issues and more of a threat with COVID-19. So he will not pitch this year. He has opted out. The Cardinals already don't have John Brebbia. He had Tommy John surgery. Alex Reyes, Henesis Cabrera, and Giovanni Gallegos are all Right now, MIA, Reyes and Cabrera in town. Cabrera has tested positive for COVID-19. Gagos is stuck in Mexico and hasn't been able to travel here. So here we are, as we mentioned, 10 days away from the start of the regular season. And Michelle, the Cardinals need to put together an 11-man bullpen, and there are a lot of people missing. I have, I'm going to say that I have seven locks right now. Okay. And I am not putting, at the moment... Carlos Martinez down there. I'm going to say KK is down in the bullpen. Okay. Who are your other names? All right. So uh, at the moment, here is what I have. Helsley, Gantz, Ponce de Leon, Gomber, Webb, Miller, and KK. So I've got seven, and I've got spots for four more. Hmm. And you're not putting Carlos in there. Not yet. But it's either going to be Carlos or KK. You think? Yeah, one of those two is going to wind up in the bullpen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In the bullpen. So uh, that's a a number. So so here I've got some other possibilities. I've got Jake Woodford, who's up here. I've got Zach Thompson, who's up here. I've got Rob Kaminsky, who's up here. The Cardinals really like Oviedo, who they gave the start to the other day. Yes, they do. And they really like Cody Whitley, who had a terrific Camp 1. So the question is, how do you fill out the 11? Is it just based on what you see here? Is it what you saw in the first spring training and this combined? How do you decide? And if you would get Alex Reyes back tomorrow and give him nine days, would you be comfortable? And I'm not asking you. I'm asking... Mike Schilt and yeah, yeah. Mike Maddox. Are you comfortable with nine days of Alex Reyes being ready for one inning on opening day? I guess that depends on what he's been doing during this time when he hasn't been at summer camp. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Hopefully he's playing catch in the backyard or over the street or something. Hopefully. Um, but again, we don't know the reasoning behind him not being here. And um, until we find out what physical condition he's in, because, you know. Someone could be dealing with a lot, a lot of different things from a physical standpoint if they're not 
here at this point. So once so, once you have to check in with him physically, then you can make that decision. I'm going to put a couple of guys down, and I want you to give me a thumbs up or thumbs down on these guys. Okay. Start with Brett Cecil. Well, Randy, he did change that throwing motion. He did. He's been around. He's got the contract. Yeah, that. I mean, he had to start with Cecil it, first. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, with five guys down. You almost want to say thumbs up. At least give I it think the you option. have to. Yeah. Now, yeah. one thing that does is it gives you the potential for six left-handers. Because if, you, if Zach Thompson makes it, Gomber, Webb, Miller, KK, and Cecil. If Thompson would make it. But at least five. And then... The other one, and this might not be as controversial, I guess, is Junior Fernandez. Thumbs up. Okay. So now we're looking at Helsley, Gant, Ponce, and Fernandez. There are four rights, and we've got five lefts with Gomber, Webb, Miller, KK, and Cecil. So we need to find two more arms. Okay. We've got Oviedo. We've got Whitley. We've got Woodford. We've got Thompson. We've got Rob Kaminsky, another left-hander. The name that I initially circled was Oviedo because I know the Cardinals are very high on him yep. and he continues to impress. Plus, if we're combining what we saw not only in this summer camp but with spring training, I know that he had high marks coming out of spring training as well. Would okay. you agree? I will, so I'm going to put my little asterisk next to him and put him on the team. Okay, so who's your last pick here, Randy? I don't – I know this sounds weird because it's just being able to get people out – I don't want another left-hander down there. That's too many left-handers in your bullpen because there's so many right-handed hitters. Mm-hmm. So I, if I can't get Reyes or Gallegos, and I would hope that down in Mexico Gallegos is playing catch. I hope, hope so. I hope he's game ready when he shows up. I'm hoping that one of those two. If I don't have Reyes or Gallegos for my opening day roster, and by the way, I'm giving them a little more leeway. I might even give them until... Thursday, give him a week to get ready. Mm-hmm. If I don't have one of those two, I'm thinking Cody Whitley might be my guy. Okay. So that would give me the right-handers, Helsley, and this is really not a big-name bullpen, Helsley, Gant, Ponce de Leon, Fernandez, Oviedo, and Whitley. So that's six. And then five lefties, Gomber, Webb, Miller, KK, and Cecil. And then I could flip out KK to the rotation and put Martinez down there. I... You know what? Logically, we, we you have to have Carlos Martinez as your closer, don't you? You, you would think so. I mean, I'm looking at this group and I'm saying, who's getting my 27th out? And I don't see a guy. I mean, you, you can certainly plug in a few names, but you're not going to feel as confident with them, at least initially, as you are with Carlos Martinez, who you know can go down there and get it done. Right. And I do think even in this era of, well, we're going back to non-specialization, but I think you need Andrew Miller... And I've used the example before. If you've got the Reds and it's Vado, Suarez, Mustakas, and they're coming up in the eighth inning or the seventh inning, you need Andrew Miller to get those guys out. Mm-hmm. You, you, you've got the two tough left-handers, and then he can get out Suarez. He's a high-leverage guy. He's capable of getting out Eugenio Suarez. I think you need that guy to get out multiple left-handed hitters in an inning, in, in the course of three hitters. Randy, when you look at this group of pitchers here, is there anyone in particular that you're really excited to see or you think has particular potential? Yes. I, I think that Helsley has potential, Oviedo. I mentioned to I asked Schilt the other day if there was a possibility that we could see Gant in the ninth. John Gant is good. Mm-hmm. He's got good stuff. He's got a good head. 
but I know what he is. I guess Helsley at the beginning, Oviedo, Whitley is intriguing. And uh, not joking here, I want to see the side armor. I know you do. I know I know you're <laughs> dead serious. That. You know who else I think that we haven't given enough shine to and that I'm interested to see is Ponce. Yeah. I think he's a guy that's been effective for you. You uh, you know, reading what he's been doing during the shutdown, he's been working on that cutter and that curveball. Mm-hmm. I really want to see him in action. Yeah, he went to driveline during the offseason, and he was great in spring training one. And he is intriguing. To me, though... Ponce de Leon is one of those guys that you need to give you multiple innings for those starters that, well, no starter is going to be going seven at the beginning. So when your starter is giving you three, four, or five, Ponce de Leon is the guy that hopefully can give you two or three after that starter. He's, they aren't going to call it a piggyback, but I think he's kind of a piggyback guy. And that's the disappointment in not having Cabrera mm-hmm. because he was going to be one of those guys. And I think Reyes was probably going to be a two-inning guy too. Yeah, hopefully. That's what we would hope out of him, yeah. right? That was my thought process going in was that they had so many people capable of giving you two innings. Even if you just count this group, Helsley is a guy that's been a starter, can give you multiple innings. Gant is a guy that can give you multiple innings. Ponce de Leon, Gomber has been a starter. Uh KK or Martinez. Uh, And then if you add Cabrera and Reyes to that list, you had a bunch of guys that were capable of doing it. So it's going to be a real mix and match situation. We've talked a lot about how good the manager is going to have to be. Mike Schilt is going to have to be really effective in putting together this bullpen. And I think a lot of the decisions, we talk in baseball about how that's a decision that was made at 2 o'clock. A lot of the decisions that you make at 2 o'clock are going to be huge decisions in 2020. But don't you feel confident with Mike Schilt being the one and, making... And Mike Maddox. And Mike Maddox as yeah. well, being the ones making those decisions. Right. Because they'll know. They'll, they'll know going into a game, okay, is... Is Miles Michaelis going to give us three and a third? And who's the guy to come in... If he gives us three and a third, who's the guy to come in in the middle of an inning? Or if he gives us four, then is it a different guy that starts the fifth inning? And all of those decisions are going to be imperative for this team. Some guys are really capable of coming in and shutting things down in the middle of an inning. Some guys are a lot better starting an inning or acting ostensibly as a second starter. And the way you're going to construct those pitchers, isn't it going to be so fun to watch these games and manage along? Yeah. It's going to be great. And even with the DH, because of the the lack of the seven-inning start, and I don't think we'll see that until the playoffs, it is going to be really interesting to watch how bullpens are handled. And it's mm-hmm. not going to be easy because this is an offensive game now, and guys are going to get hit around. It's going to be like having Michael Walker start every day. Oh, Randy. No, you're gonna. You just have to be. It, once the fourth inning rolls around, you're gonna have to be ready to use your bullpen. That's my point. You're ready to go. <laughs> Does that mean? Uh, I wouldn't say mean. I would say an informed opinion. <laughs> there we go. It's uh, Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Washington has a football team with no name. We're going to talk to Bed and Standing of the Athletic, and. He covers two teams now that are changing their names in Washington. We're going to talk to him about this name change next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With 
with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. It's Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And the Redskins announced yesterday that they are retiring the name the Redskins. So now it's Washington's NFL team. Ben Standig covers Washington's NFL team for The Athletic and joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Ben, thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm always glad when somebody else says the team doesn't have a name because it almost feels like a weird dream. Like, wait, is this really happening? They, they, they're changing the name. They don't have a name. What's going on here? It, it is really strange, especially because the, the name has been associated with the franchise for 87 years. Overall, as you have taken the pulse of D.C. and surrounding areas, how is this going over? Um, you know, I think you've got a couple of uh, there's, pr- there's probably two distinct factions. I mean, first, uh, yesterday's announcement really wasn't, I think, a total stunner. We already had sort of a heads up on July 3rd when the team put out a statement saying that the name would go under review after owner Dan Snyder was, was receiving some financial pressure from sponsors and a little, probably a little bit from the league. So I think we're, once he made that statement, we knew it was coming. It was just a matter of how quickly uh, they, they put out the statement. Um, you know, to make it official, and then that'll be the day we look back on the history books for sure. Uh, you know, I, there are there are a lot of people like myself who grew up in this area. This is the team that you rooted for, and you know, it's very confusing on some level. To be honest, that this name that was you know part of your childhood, your memories. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough that you know I remember the Joe Gibbs teams that won three Super Bowls, and you know, it's weird to think that this name that you, you always associated with good things is now viewed in a very different. Way, but you know, I think a lot of us are accepting that you know it makes you know we understand why the change is needed and and not pushing back on that. Um, and and you know we just kind of move on and you know change you know change is a, a good thing for society in this case, and you hope for the best. Then there's the faction that's like you know basically over my dead body, you know I'm not I'm not buying into this. They're you know gonna stop following the team, or at least that's what they're saying now. That that type of thing and. Like to some degree, I understand the anger, but you know there, you just have to accept the reality. I think of kind of where things are at. Um, I think there's one way, of course, to to make everybody happy, and that's in games, and that's ultimately on some level. I, I don't want to say the name isn't a bigger sin for what it represents, but on some level, the fact that they have you know a debacle for most of the last 20 years really is is, is sort of the underlying point of a lot of this that the, the the name that was once proud has been devalued so much that even losing it. I think for a lot of people, like you know what, ever it's well, let's just maybe this can't maybe this will spark something different because it's been a mess for a while, and and ultimately if they could ever figure out how to win games again, I think people will be fine rooting for the Washington whatever the name is. Ben, it is interesting because when the Redskins won those Super Bowls, Joe Gibbs had been an assistant coach here in St. Louis under the Don Coryell staff, Wayne Sevier, uh, Jim Hannafin. So when the football Cardinals left, I became a Washington Redskins fan and developed an emotional attachment. And I, I know that you're the same way growing up in the district and, and developing that emotional attachment. It is kind of strange that that's gone. But for me, it's kind of like the greatest show on turf. I have no connection now to the Rams. They were the St. Louis Rams, but in large part because of Dan Snyder. Uh, I have no attachment to the Washington NFL franchise anymore either. I, my attachment was to the Redskins teams in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a really true. I saw <clears throat> there's, a, there's a kid, uh, uh, a kid uh, social media titan who's, I don't know, he must be in his 20s. He's one of these, you know, he's not a reporter, but he has a lot of big following on Instagram and Twitter and all that. And yesterday I saw him tweet out 
he uh, a video of what he said. This is my favorite moment ever as a as a fan of the Washington Redskins, and it was like some random video from the RG three season of just the bands playing Hail to the Redskins, and I was like, wow, this is so depressing. <laughs> because my greatest memories are three Super Bowls and huge wins over Dallas and, uh, you know, Joe Gibbs and, and John Riggins and Art Monk and Dexter Manley, and like, wow, I can't believe this is so sad, but this is where it's been. If you're, you know, somebody, I don't even know at this point, under 35, 40, all you remember is debacle and, and, and just bad, bad times. So that these you know moments for the rest of us would be not even in the ballpark of the best moments, or is all you have to cling to. And we've all probably been there with with some sports team we cover, but when you had you know one of the jewels of the league, you know for many years, obviously uh, you know the NFC East in particular, but along with Dallas, New York Giants, and then you know some of the Steelers and 49ers, whatever you know the, the that team, the Burgundy and Gold, you know were considered you know preeminent uh, preeminent uh, franchise in the league, and now. It is definitely the opposite. Ben, we know that Dan Snyder said this was a day that would never happen, but then corporate pressure was applied and his pockets were threatened and he eventually had to arrive at this decision. But from what you can glean, how averse was he to making this decision even when you had FedEx and Amazon and Nike, et cetera, pulling Redskins apparel and saying, we're not going to support this? You know, even with that in play, was he still against making this change? I mean, I think if you look at the statement that was released yesterday, right? So they make this big announcement. They, 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 it gets leaked out that they're going to make this announcement on Monday. So, okay, well, what, you know, so people, people are asking me, oh, what are they doing? Is there a press conference? Are they going to do a video like during the offseason? Like a lot of teams, they were doing, you know, some elaborate things to try to keep fans engaged, uh, you know, while dealing with the pandemic and all. Literally, all they did was put out a, a, a short statement, no quotes, you know, I've had more passionate embraces from uh, people from high school I hated back then. Um, when I, Thirty years later, kind of like this was, it was, this was there was nothing. There was no emo, emo positive, uh, positive vibes about this announcement, and I think it reflects where, where things are coming from from the man at the top of the organization. I don't believe that Dan Snyder had any interest in doing this. I think he ultimately didn't have much of a choice. My basic take is that the reason why this ultimately happened this time, as opposed to the other moments where the topic bubbled up and it just you know, went away ultimately, was that in the past it was always an isolated moment. Hey, the Washington Redskins is a bad name. Let's get rid of it. But you know there were no, there were there were no pressures beyond a pointed column or, or some some outrage from people. But in this case, it was connected to something much larger, and that was the the the, the race discussion happening in this country following George Floyd's. Murder and obviously that a lot has changed in the last six weeks or so all across the country. The the state flag in Mississippi changed and, and things like that. The statues coming down of Confederacy and th- this team name got caught up with that. And so this time there was nowhere to hide for the sponsors and to some degree probably the NFL. You couldn't just simply pretend it wasn't happening. And that's you know once that happened, Dan Snyder really didn't have much of a choice. And that's where we're at now. So you know he'll. You know, it's one of those things where maybe 30 years he'll get credit for having done it. But if you live the moment, I don't think too many people are going to be thinking that Dan Snyder really wanted to do this on any level. Ben, I also thought it was curious that they would make this announcement without revealing the new name. It just seemed like to say, hey, we're moving on from Redskins and here's what we're going to do next. Embrace this new this new name, this new moniker for the team would have been the logical choice. So why retire it without revealing the new name? Well, that's a great question, and I would say this, that 
Um, you know, I, I reported over the weekend that they had fired two people from the front office, two um, people who worked on the pro personnel side. And it's not unusual. There's a new head coach in Ron Rivera, and Rivera is more than a head coach here. He's kind of running the whole show. And it's not unusual, right, to have um, to, to have change like that when you have a new, a new coach. But typically that kind of change comes – shortly after free agency in the draft, not two weeks before training camp. And so the timing is very odd on that front. And I'll just say that, you know, based on the report, based on what I heard and based on some things out there, I I would just say that there's probably more to come coming out of the organization with regards to to this. And that is what I think on some level is what's happening here with, with this name announcement. It's not a real announcement. Like I said, we already knew on July 3rd, this name was changing unless you just don't you know, people just couldn't read between the lines. Once you say, you're putting a very controversial name under review. How do you come back and say, "Yeah, we reviewed it. We're good." Like that, you know. So, so, so this announcement was just to sort of create headlines. And you know, I mean, I was like, you guys are calling me, and other I've had been on other radio shows across the country because it's an interesting topic. But why? And I think that's it. There's also been other things. Um, the, some of the more prominent minority owners on the um, uh, with with Washington, including Fred Smith, who is the CEO and founder of FedEx. The title, the, the, the title sponsor for the stadium, FedEx was, is probably the most prominent organization that put pressure on them to change their name. And again, the minority owner um, is, is the FedEx uh, CEO. And it's been reported that the top three minority owners who own about 40% of the team all attempted to uh, buy out Dan Snyder and or sell their own shares. So there's a lot going on, and I, I think ultimately, to to, the, to your point, I think the announcement is just to try to change the subject to a degree uh, over over what's become a, a trying off season. I personally think they should wait on on, na- on, on naming this thing. I mean, it's, I don't know what they'll do for this year, but you, you want to get this right. I mean, you don't want to just say, "Oh well, we're under some pressure. Let's just change the name." Wrote about this the other day after talking to some brand experts. So I personally hope, I would hope they wait, but. You know, if they feel the pressure, we could have an announcement sooner than later because there's, like I said, a lot going on right now. Ben Standing from The Athletic, one last thing. Uh, Dan Snyder has been a meddler. He's, uh, at least from the outside, stopped meddling. He's been very impatient. He's kept coaches for a year. He's kept coaches maybe too long. And the thing has continued to be a mess. Why? And is Ron Rivera perhaps the answer, or is there something behind the scenes that Snyder does that prevents him from being a successful owner on the field? Yeah. Uh, you know, look, you know, it's funny. Like, so they, they fired a longtime team president, Bruce Allen in December. And prior to that, the hashtag fire Bruce was a very, very popular one in, in these circles. And I understand why people, Wanted that because they they would they would they would look at Bruce Allen, another controversial figure, and and say, see, he's the problem. He he is the issue. But that's because he was the only one sort of being put out front. Dan Snyder very rarely talks, um, and Bruce Allen would be the one to sort of have to you know stand there when he would speak, which wasn't often, but when he would speak and and sort of take the hits for the organization. And what I always would tell people is simply this: you guys are absolutely barking up the wrong tree, because Bruce Allen. Once he gets fired, Dan Snyder is still here. Bruce Allen wasn't here the first decade of Dan Snyder's ownership when things were really bad. I'm not saying they're not great now. I'm just saying the first decade was even worse, I think, than what's happened since. And this decade has been an absolute uh, mind, minefield of, of problems. So um, ultimately, Dan Snyder just has unfortunately never figured out 
how to run the team successfully. And, you know, I think there's even a question about does he even know how to successfully navigate dealing with people. He chooses to not speak to the media almost ever um, because he at least somewhat recognizes he doesn't do that well. But, you know, he hears things behind the scenes and he's supposed to say he's not a popular He's not a popular figure. And as far as Ron Rivera, people really do like Ron Rivera. I just put up a a, a survey up on the on the athletic. Uh, I, I spoke to thirty NFL agents anonymously. They answered a bunch of questions, very all about the various league topics, best GMs, for, you know, who did well in the off season, what they think is going to happen with the league in twenty twenty, things like that. It's really, I really enjoyed it. But part of it also is something I'll do later. Is I asked what they thought of Ron Rivera and what did they think of Washington's off season. Rivera gets very high marks, but so did Mike Shanahan when he came in, and so did Joe Gibbs 2.0 when he came back, and nothing ever seems to work under this ownership. So, you know, I, I think Rivera has a chance to do something. He, I think he has the right mindset. They've got to fix the culture. Will he be allowed to is the issue. Will he ultimately be able to get off to do what he needs to do? Because ultimately, again, over 20 years, Dan Snyder, somehow, some, some way, seems to get in the way and and that's what just causes the team to have issues year after year ben great stuff thanks so much for the time we do appreciate it and this is a uh, a wild story with dan snyder and it'll be interesting to see what the new name is and we'll be watching for your work in the athletic i appreciate it thank you so much that's uh, ben standing from the athletic joining us here on 101 espn michelle is interesting dan snyder bought the team in september of 1999 and in his first season by the way uh, that was the first season that Mike Martz was gone, and uh, Mike Martz hated him. And, and one of the big reasons that he would never go back to Washington is because Dan Snyder was such a bad guy. He fired Norv Turner. So Norv Turner goes 10-6 and six in the first full season that uh, Snyder owns the team. He fires him during the next season, during, 90, uh, during the 2000 season. In 2001, they hire Marty, Marty Schottenheimer. This is where everything went bad for them. Uh, they, they start off 0-1-5. They go 8-8. Eight and eight, But Marty Schottenheimer wanted control of personnel. And Dan Snyder said no. He was there for one year. And Snyder fired him and then hired Steve Spurrier. Spurrier for two years. Gibbs for four. Jim Zorn for two. Mike Shanahan for four. And they've never won again because he was unwilling to give up personnel power to the people that know personnel. That doesn't seem to work. Yeah. Owners that don't want to give up personnel no. power. If he would have kept Marty Schottenheimer, he would have, that franchise would have been great for another decade. But he, Snyder, messed it up. I had to stop myself from laughing, Randy, during your last question to Ben, because when you said Dan Snyder has been a meddler, I thought that's the most polite way to describe what he has been to that organization. Well, he used to go out and sign old free agents. Remember when they signed Bruce Smith and Albert Hainsworth and Deion Sanders? They signed all these guys that just couldn't play anymore and wasted a bunch of money. Now he's backed off. They don't sign all those free agents anymore. But it still doesn't work. Remember all the drama he caused in the locker room with RG3? Oh, yeah. Ridiculous. It was yeah, all... RG3 had access to the owner. Yes, and it was all self-sabotage. It was yeah. all self-inflicted by Dan Snyder. He's a bad owner. Really bad. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and the fight is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. In the red corner, the challenger, Average Joe Listener, Listener, 
And in the blue corner, fighting out of the mean streets of Creve Corps, the undisputed king of morning drive, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Randy Carriker. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. We have a late edition of the fight. Today it's 8.53, so let's get things rocking and rolling. Our competitor this morning is John. John, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Michelle. Are you ready to take on Randy, John? I am as ready as I'm going to get. Okay, well, let's get rolling then. Question number one, John. What former Major League Baseball manager holds the record for most ejections? Is it Earl Weaver, Bobby Cox, or Tony La Russa? Earl Weaver. On this date in 2009, the 80th MLB All-Star Game was held here in St. Louis. Who won the home run derby the night before? Was it Prince Fielder, Albert Pujols, or Ryan Howard? Prince Fielder. Question number three, John. There are three players in Major League Baseball history with over 700 home runs. Who was the first Major League Baseball player to reach the 700 home run mark? Was it Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, or Babe Ruth? Babe Ruth. And last question, John. What team did NHL Hall of Fame defenseman Al McInnes play for before joining the Blues for the 1994-95 season? Was it the Calgary Flames, L.A. Kings, or Detroit Red Wings? Uh, gosh, I hate hockey. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess C. So the Red Wings, just to confirm. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Cool. All right. Tanner's on his way to get Randy. So John, you were just praying for no hockey questions today. <laughs> Pre- pretty much, I was like, ah, oh, first three, pretty much straightforward, and I was like, ah, oh, hockey questions, like stumbling in the finish line. Oh. I'm gonna finish strong on that. Well, at least you got the options, though, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Positivity. We we do positive programming here. Randy, say good morning to John. Hey, John. How are you, sir? Doing great, Randy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. All right, Randy. Question number one. Yes, ma'am. What former Major League Baseball manager holds the records for for most ejections? Bobby Cox. Randy, on this date in 2009, the 80th MLB All-Star Game was held here in St. Louis. Who won the home run derby the night before? Remember Nelson Cruz hitting one way, 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 way out of the ballpark. You mean back, 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 back? Back, 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 back. <laughs> um, and Prince Fielder was really good. So it was one of those two. I think I'm going to go with Nelson Cruz. Randy, there are three players in Major League Baseball history with over 700 home runs. Who was the first Major League Baseball player to reach that 700 home run mark? So have uh, have we taken A-Rod's 700th away? Babe Ruth was the first. And last question, Randy. What team did (laughs) NHL Hall of Fame defenseman Al McInnes play for before joining the Blues for the 1994-1995 season? The Blues traded Phil Housley to the Calgary Flames in exchange for Al McInnes. It was the Calgary Flames. We've got a winner. We have a winner. And still champion, Randy Carriker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. 
Close fight today. Sorry, John. Randy edged you out 3-2. to two. Let's run through the answers here. Bobby Cox is the Major League Baseball manager that holds the record for most ejections. 161 ejections. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. You know what? I'm That's not even, a season. I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed. Um, so in 2009, the 80th All-Star Game was held here in St. Louis. It was Prince Fielder, Fielder it was. Okay. who won the home run one derby. Of those two, yeah, so. you were right there. Um, John got that one correct. Babe Ruth was the first baseball player to, to reach that 700 home run mark. He hit a 700th home run on July 13th, 1934 against the Detroit Tigers. And Al McKinnis played for the Calgary Flames before joining the Blues in that 94-95 season. John, thanks so much for playing. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. John with us on 101 ESPN. Camp is underway for the St. Louis Blues and the rest of the National Hockey League. Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com is covering it and joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. It's always great to talk to ESPN.com's Greg Wyshynski, talking some hockey as we head into the playoffs. And he's with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Greg, good to have you with us. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you? Everything's well. I was just telling Michelle during the break about some of the games that Scotty Bowman would play during the playoffs. And tell me if you have any others in addition to these. Uh, I was told by multiple Blues players over the years, one thing that Scotty Bowman would do is have the visitors' locker room at uh, Joe Louis Arena painted with oil base painted about 9.30 in the morning if the opposing team had like a 10.30 practice, he would right before they arrived, he would have the uh, the painters at Joe Louis Arena paint their locker room so that uh, they, they wouldn't be able to dress because the fumes were so strong. He would have scoreboard <laughs> maintenance during the playoffs if a team would show up at the visitors locker room, get all dressed, get out there and there would, the scoreboard would be at ice level and the guys would be saying, yeah, we, we got to fix the scoreboard for tonight's game. Uh, just, just he, he was an amazing tactician and an amazing mental game player, Scotty Bowman was. Do you, do you have any of those great Scotty Bowman playoff stories? <laughs> None more than that. I mean, that's uh, one of the reasons why he was one of the, or what, probably the most successful coach of all time. I mean, players that he coached probably uh, had something to do with that as well. <laughs> so yeah, right. That he was behind the bench for. But no, I mean, the great tradition of, of chicanery in sports is. Uh, one of my favorite things, not only the the tricks that you mentioned with Bowman, but uh, you know the uh, random fire alarm pole in an opposing team's <laughs> hotel uh, that can't be traced, and then you know to go from another sport as far as the home field advantage stuff. I, I grew up in uh, Jersey. I'm a New York Jets fan, and I always loved the uh, stories in the Meadowlands where uh, you know Bill Parcells or somebody would <clears throat> open up one of the gigantic doors on field level in order to adjust the wind yeah. <laughs> uh, to mess with a, a, an opposing team's kicks. So and any, any of these little underhanded but completely, uh, you know, legal in some ways, I don't know about pulling a fire alarm, but uh, advantages that teams can get are pretty great. One thing that, uh, one other note that Scotty did, they had the, the wooden benches, they were really long 2x12s, and uh, enough so that you had room for all the skaters. And he would, during the playoffs, uh, at least for the first games, uh, so that the other team would notice, he would cut have his equipment guys cut a foot off of the opponent's bench so that they would all have to be <laughs> scrunched together. <laughs> he was something. Pretty great, pretty great. 
Greg, we know that this Stanley Cup playoffs is anything but normal, but in a normal format, one of the things that we would looking be looking at as a particular X factor is veteran leadership. And Randy and I were talking during the break, and I, I said to him, I wonder if veteran leadership even really matters in this scenario, because even the veteran guys are going into an unknown situation. So do you think that we kind of remove that from the equation when we're talking about how to handicap who's the favorites here? No, that's a good point. I mean, you know, I was thinking specifically about a team like Vancouver uh, that is a really young team. Um, you know, the playoff experience for the core group of that team is is almost non-existent, but they bought in a, a couple of players recently, Tyler Toffoli, JT Miller, who have extensive playoff experience that have gone on, on long runs with their teams. And, you know, for a while we were all like, you know, that makes sense. You know, the veteran guys in the room calm you down if you're in the middle of playoffs, but like you said, this is uncharted territory for uh, for everybody. I mean, you bring in those guys to uh, you know give the big speech before you go play a huge road game in front of a hostile crowd. Well, there's no hostile crowd. It's barely a road game, right? So what does that even mean? Now, when it comes to a team like the Blues, <clears throat> I, I do think that there is an advantage in the sense that if the entirety of the team, the cohesive unit, has been on these journeys together, uh, it, it definitely will allow for there to be kind of a, a, a circling the wagons, batting down the hatches mentality when things go poorly. And, you know, as the Blues showed us last year, their propensity for just kind of moving on and forgetting adversity, uh, which was just unprecedented in some cases last season, I think is going to really come in handy when you are dealing with so many uncertainties, not only in what the environment's going to look like, but also, let's face it, from day to day, not knowing who uh, may or may not be in your lineup. Greg, we focus here in St. Louis on the return of Vladimir, but it seems around the league that there are multiple teams, not the least of which is Colorado, whom the Blues play first, that are going to benefit from guys that probably wouldn't have been there at the start of the playoffs that are healthy now. Yeah, Colorado is obviously the biggest example. I mean, I don't think there's been a, a moment this season when they've had their full team intact. And then by the end of the season, they were missing everybody, goaltender uh, and, and several forwards. And, and getting everybody healthy at the same time in the same way is going to be pretty remarkable to see because that is a team that is already uh, really good, obviously second in the division behind the Blues. Um, but with everybody healthy and raring to go, guys like Nazem Kadri and you know, everybody in the top line that's been out of, in and out of the lineup, even by the end of the season, Nathan McKinnon was even hurt. Um, it, it's going to be a formidable group for sure. The other team in the Eastern Conference that I think fits that bill is the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, who have had guys in and out of the lineup all season long. Uh, really did a remarkable job to get where they were in the standings, kind of playing a more defensive style this season as they were waiting for some of their big offensive guns to come back from injury. One guy that, that's been missing for almost the entire season is Jake Gensel, their top-line winger who plays with Sidney Crosby. And you know, he's going to be back in the lineup when they do the restart. And the Penguins are going to be a, a real interesting group to watch because of that. And Gensel is a big-time playoff player. For fans here in the Western Conference that aren't aware of him, he, he's a guy that always seems to step up at this time of year. Yeah, he does. And, and also, you know, gives Sid that sort of reliable uh, offensive option on his wing. You know, for, for a decade, it was a guy like Chris Kunitz that just had this remarkable chemistry with, with Crosby, but Gensel showed that he has that too. And so you have that going for you. You have Jason Zucker, who they acquired from the Minnesota Wild, now playing on, on Malkin's wing. They're, they're a really, really interesting team to watch, if only because, you know, to go back to the uh, thing we were just talking about before with leadership, 
it's pretty clear that the message from the veterans on that team, be it Crosby, be it Malkin, be it Chris Letang, has been, look, this is an unprecedented opportunity for us, a veteran team, to try to collect a fourth Stanley Cup uh, in, a, in, a, in a limited run, short run tournament. I think the message has been heard by, by the Penguins players. Greg, we know the intensity of the Stanley Cup playoffs is unlike anything in sports. But I wonder if we're going to see that same level of intensity. I know that everyone's fresh and they're going to come out firing. But without that momentum of the regular season to feed into the playoffs and without the crowds and that really threatening environment that you go into in different arenas, do you think it's going to be difficult for players to reach that that top level? Well, maybe not for the Florida Panthers. I mean, they play in front of like five thousand people. That's 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 TP. I'm sorry, but no, the, it's a good it's a good question, and I've asked a lot of players in the last few months, like about that very thing, because you know it's kind of cliche, but they do rely on the crowds to give them that extra boost, and uh, and and also rely on those crowds in hostile environments to kind of get them fired but fired up to you know be a spoiler and ruin the party. And to not have that dynamic in the playoffs where it's usually just so prevalent um, is going to be a very strange thing. So a lot of these players I've talked to have talked about trying to figure out ways to self-motivate, to try to like almost like envision what it's like to play in front of a crowd, even though there's not going to be one there and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, you hope the intensity of the playoffs and, and everything that's on the line um, and maybe even, you know, transforming some of the mental frustration of having to live in a bubble for two and a half months into, into energy on the ice will make these games intense and, and kind of replicate the feelings that you get in a playoff series. But it really remains to be seen. Now, as, as I reported uh, on Sunday, the NHL is asking fans to record their cheers and boos and chants and stuff uh, and, and send it into their teams. Uh, that'll be featured on the broadcast and that'll be featured on social media, but apparently it's also going to be featured inside the arena at times too. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of atmosphere the NHL does uh, create to try to, you know, make this more than just the players playing inside of a vacuum. Greg, yesterday, Doug Armstrong was asked if seeding matters heading into these playoffs. I want you to respond to what Army had to say about seeding. Here he is. Uh, well, certainly, as you said, you, you want to put your best foot forward. But uh, I think uh, the eight teams that uh, are in, into the group of 16 have a little bit of latitude to try and get as many guys uh, games as necessary. I think the seeding itself isn't going to really matter when you, when the, the four teams that have a buy into the round of 16 play, they're going to be playing someone that's feeling really good about themselves. Someone that has just won a, a three out of five series and, and has a little bit of a sort of game experience uh, in, uh, in this tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't really put a lot of stock into finishing one through four, except we want to be in a good frame of mind when we get to that round of 16. So what are your thoughts about that? I'm not. I'm not buying that for a second, man. Why do you Why do you try to get the top seed in the conference? You try to get the top seed in the conference not only to secure yourself home ice advantage, and there will be some home ice advantages to being a higher seed. Obviously, with you know having a you know when where your bench is located, which locker room you get to use, and that sort of thing. Um, but you do it to try to play the weakest opponent you possibly can. And and the bottom line is that along with all the unprecedented stuff of this postseason, one of the things that, that's going to be unprecedented is the fact that after the play-in round uh, and the qualification round, we're going to reseed, which is a beautiful thing and should always happen. We haven't done it for several years. But the idea that if the St. Louis Blues remain the top seed in the Western Conference and then get the absolutely lowest seed, 
I mean, let's say the Chicago Blackhawks pull the upset on the Edmonton Oilers in the first round. Well, I mean, I think the Blues would much rather play a team like the Blackhawks than you know have to play in a, in, a, in a series where all of a sudden they're the four seed in the conference, which could definitely happen. That's the craziest thing about this round-robin stuff that the Blues are in is it's a very sort of be-careful-what-you-wish-for situation. These top teams are all like, we want to have games that mean something before we go into the round of 16. Well, they really mean something because all of a sudden the Philadelphia Flyers and the Dallas Stars, who were you know, about a dozen points away from the top spot in the conference, could be the top seed if they win three games. So there's definitely something on the line here. And I think if you're the Blues, you want to put yourself in the best position to continue to advance, and that would be to play the lowest seed possible in the next round. Greg, it's really difficult to try to prognosticate these Stanley Cup playoffs because there's so much that could happen or so much that these players are dealing with that they've never dealt with before. But how are you trying to handicap this? Or are you just kind of throwing up your hands and saying, hey, you know, the favorites are still the favorites. I'm going in thinking what I thought before. Or have you shifted your thought on any teams given the circumstances? No, I mean, it's tough, right? Uh, I think it's tough not only not, not understanding like you mentioned before, what the momentum looks like. Like you could point to last season and say, okay, well, we, we probably should have seen the Blue Jackets upset coming over the Lightning because the Lightning were kind of coasting for a few months and the Blue Jackets are playing playoff games for like three straight weeks or a month and, uh, and they had all that fire and, and, and the momentum at their, at their backs. Um, in this case, we just don't know. I mean, everybody's going to come in pretty much cold outside of one exhibition game. So it's really hard in that aspect to handicap the first round. Now, the thing that, that we're kind of talking around is the idea that this is all happening within a pandemic. And when it comes to trying to figure out maybe who to wager on for the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I do a, a bit of uh, sports gambling, uh, television and writing for ESPN, and we'll probably do some on these playoffs as well. I mean, the idea that all of a sudden a guy could lose, you could leave your lineup for two weeks because he tests positive, um, and then maybe, you know, spread that to his teammates is, is a, I mean, there's no way to wrap your brain around it as far as how to try to factor it into wagering. I mean, a team's fortunes could change on a dime if some idiot decides he wants to go to a club and leave the bubble, right? So the idea that you have to kind of factor that in along with everything else is, is really daunting insofar as trying to figure out who might actually uh, emerge from this tournament. That said, Caesars has odds on these teams, and I do kind of fancy the odds right now on uh, the Penguins we mentioned earlier and the Philadelphia Flyers, who are a, a team that I think has been a dark horse for most of this season. But, uh, but their depth and, and their talent and uh, their goaltending, if, if Carter Hart uh, remains healthy, is, is pretty formidable. And I think they, they're a team that warrants a little bit of attention. Greg, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. Are you going to go to the bubble, by the way? We're still waiting to hear. Uh, and I get, a, I get a sense that maybe as we get closer to it, it may be a situation where Emily Kaplan and I are uh, maybe observing the first round from afar, uh, I, which would be fine because I think it's going to be a, a television event more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then trying to get to the bubble for the round of 16. But we'll see. We haven't, we haven't gotten our marching orders yet, but I, I think that both of us uh, are, are hoping to get out there, and I would be, uh, I would be, I would be in Edmonton to witness uh, the potential repeat of the Blues. Love it. Well, we'll talk to you soon either way. Thanks so much for the time. Anytime. Thanks for having me. See you, Greg. Greg Wyshynski, ESPN.com. He's great, isn't he? Great. So plugged in. Totally. Coming up next, how good is Jack Flaherty? We'll tell you what one scout in Major League Baseball thinks in today's big thing on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health is here in person or online to provide the safe, high quality and personalized care you've come to expect. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information. Michelle, there's a great piece by Mark Kerrigan, Andy McCullough at The Athletic rating the starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. And it rates them all. It's got aces, applicants to be aces, uh, numbers twos and threes, and just guys. That's everyone else. And there are just a few aces out there. By the way, this is based on war and then talking with talent evaluators around baseball, whether it's scouts or uh, executives in baseball. And there are uh, a, a lot of tier two and three pitchers. There are other pitchers that have a chance to be great. So here are your aces, and I don't okay. think anybody will disagree with this. They rate as their number one starter in baseball, Garrett Cole of the Yankees. Yep. Pretty safe, right? Mm-hmm. Jacob deGrom is number two. He's won a couple of Cy Young Awards. Max Scherzer is number three. Justin Verlander, number four. Hmm. And then among the applicants, they have Walker Bueller. Steven Strasburg, who is interesting because I I would consider him an ace at this point after winning World Series MVP. Yeah. And the next one is Jack Flaherty. Uh, And the capsule on Flaherty is, you can sum up the consensus on Flaherty with this take from an NL evaluator. He will be an ace. He's just not there yet. An echo came from an American League executive. I expect him to be Tier 1 very soon and among the best in the game. Add in an AL scout, he's really close to being there. If he goes and puts a full year together, the same conversation next year or the year after, I think he'd be on there too. And then it talks about how uh, Flaherty dominated in the second half of last year. And then finally at the end of the capsule, one evaluator said, an NL scout, if I had to start a team with the players listed, all things considered, it would be Jack Flaherty. Mm-hmm. If I had to start a team, wow, it would be Jack Flaherty. Still want to trade him for Nolan Arenado, Randy? Uh, no, not now. Not <laughs> for, the price has changed. <laughs> fair, fair. I'll give you that fair. I just had to rib you there a little yeah, bit. Too. But Jeff Flaherty, we've, we've watched it with our own eyes here in St. Louis. We know the talent that this guy has. We know what he could develop into for the St. Louis Cardinals. And to think that he has the capabilities of being that ace, of being that dominant number one, that when he takes the mound, other teams are shaking like a leaf in fear because they're thinking, how are we going to win this series when Jack Flaherty could potentially get the ball two games? That's what we want here in St. Louis. And it's great to see that other people recognize and acknowledge the talent that he has. And you think about him being in that echelon, and maybe even when you get to the end of 60 games and you look at the National League, is there a single pitcher, including Scherzer or Strasburg, where you would feel uncomfortable about Jack Flaherty starting against that guy in game one of a playoff series? I'm talking about a number one, number one. I'm talking about he'd be a number one on any team, and he has a chance to be that guy. And by the way, I would feel good if Flaherty starts against Scherzer or if Flaherty starts against Strasburg or DeGrom in the playoffs, I feel good about the Cardinals' chances. So do I. I mean, look look at last postseason as an example. When Jack Flaherty had the ball, the only question was, will he get the run support he needs to win the game? Not always. 
Not always, no. But we certainly had no questions about him in the postseason last year, given what we had seen out of him now. We know this is a different uh, different scenario this season, but the question remains, can he put it together for an entire season, and can he put it together consistently for years to come? And he's not going to be what he was in the second half of last year. That's unrealistic. Right. Nobody does that. Exactly. But can he be one of the best in the game over the course of 162 games, over 32 starts? Can he be at that level of a Strasburg or a Scherzer or a DeGrom? It would appear, based on what we saw in the second half last year, that he's capable of that. Now, I know the Cardinals have given no indications that they would ever move on from Jack Flaherty. We know that the contract situation is looming. But when you're when you're mentioning Max Scherzer, do you think the Cardinals' reluctance to go in on Max Scherzer is something that they keep in mind when they approach the table for these Jack Flaherty discussions about how they could have had a guy like Max Scherzer and how that would have potentially shaped their organization and how if you have Jack Flaherty already here in St. Louis, you do what it takes to keep him here? I have to believe that's the case. And last year, I think it was during the playoffs, Bill DeWitt III said that was the biggest whiff that mm-hmm. the, they, the Cardinals have made under Bill DeWitt Jr.'s leadership of the organization. So, yeah, I would think that the Cardinals, especially when you look at what a guy like Garrett Cole provides, or Cole and Verlander both for Houston, or the value that the Yankees put on a guy like Garrett Cole, or what happened when the the Red Sox got Chris Sale. To me, that's the way you have to look at it. And yes, I, I got the Cardinals not signing Scherzer in 2015, and I know he wanted to be here, but he got $210 million from the Nationals, and a lot of that money was deferred. But he's still a Scott Boris guy. Mm -hmm. And a hometown discount only goes so far. And you have to keep in mind that coming into that year, the Cardinals, that was 2015. In 2014, the Cardinals rotation, they felt really good about. And they thought that they had some people that were on their way. Lynn had uh, gone 15 and 10 and started 33 games. Wainwright had come off of Tommy John and won 20 games at the age of 32. Shelby Miller was their number one prospect. And he had thrown 183 innings with a 3.74 ERA and was ascending. Then they had Waka, who had won the NLCS MVP Mm -hmm. and uh, helped them get to the World Series the year before. Uh, Plus, they had John Lackey coming back. For 2015, plus they had Carlos Martinez, plus they had what they thought was going to be a healthy Jaime Garcia. So they had, and Marco Gonzalez was on that team too. They thought, okay, we're going to be pretty good and pretty deep for a long time. They thought that Michael Walker was going to be Max Scherzer. Right. And it just didn't work out that way. But I could understand that thought process at the time. Hindsight being 2020, yes, it was a huge whiff. But now that you know what you know about what happened with Scherzer, to your point, you have to do everything you can to keep Jack Flaherty in a Cardinal uniform. Let's do it. I, I Can you imagine if they don't get that done for one reason or another, and then we get to watch Jack Flaherty bloom into this unbelievable, formidable, formidable ace that could have been wearing the birds on the bat for his career, and then we get to watch him do it somewhere like California? Gross. I can't imagine it. Now, here's... Two things. Number one, he's not going to get his number 22 in L.A. because they're going to retire 22 for Kershaw. Mm-hmm. But how would you hate it watch, walking, Bue, watching Bueller and Flaherty start game one and two? Of, Flaherty and Bueller starting game yeah. one and two of a playoff series for L.A. I would hate it. Be the worst. Be the worst. It would be terrible. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. 
All right, it is time for... You're killing me, Small. All right, Michelle, what do you got? All right, Randy, the $500 million man, Patrick Mahomes, is gracing the cover of GQ magazine. Oh, he should be well-dressed now. Well, he's wearing, he, I, I tweeted this, he's got big Tony Soprano or Paulie Walnuts energy on the cover. He's got a, you know, one of those sweatsuits, those kind of windbreaker sweatsuits uh-huh. going on with the watch and the chain. I mean, it looks great, but it looks very New Jersey athleisure wear, <laughs> which I'm a fan of. Sure. But... In the article, I was perusing it during a break. He tells an amazing story in GQ about himself and Travis Kelsey and a post Malone concert after they won the Super Bowl. So let me lay this out for you here, Randy. So Patrick Mahomes is, despite being a Super Bowl winner and a star by any capacity, pretty mm-hmm. humble guy. Mm-hmm. And he didn't realize that after the Super Bowl, after he wins the Super Bowl, hey, we could get some pretty good perks here. So in Kansas City, around the time of the parade, Post Malone is playing a concert and Patrick Mahomes is like, hey, we don't have tickets, but can somebody get us a suite to this concert? Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> so then, of course, he gets invited backstage to say hey to Post Malone and Sway Lee, his opener, before the concert. And Post Malone challenges Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes to a friendly game of beer pong. Now, Patrick Mahomes, again, being humble, says, I'm just okay at beer pong. But he said Travis Kelsey was, quote, unconscious, that they've never been this hot on the beer pong table in their (laughs) lives. Okay, so they're just absolutely dominating Post Malone. Now, after nine or ten games, Post Malone's manager comes, again, nine or ten games of beer pong. Post Malone's manager comes in and say, hey, you've got to take the stage. Post Malone says, no, we have to continue playing this game. So, so Mahomes says around the 14th or 15th game of beer pong before the concert, Post Malone ups the stakes. He hands a piece of paper to Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey. He says, hey, sign this piece of paper. If you beat me in this game. I'm going to tattoo your names, on your signatures on my body. So, of course, you know how this ends. Post Malone loses. And Mahomes says he's got a tattoo artist literally in the room. Mahomes says, dude, you don't have to do this. And he says, nope, I'm going to do it. I'm a man of his word. So immediately after the show, Post Malone pays up on the bet and he gets Mahomes and Kelsey's autographs tattooed on his body. That's incredible. What a great story. What an unbelievable story. So then they ask Mahomes in the article about that day they said okay let's set the over under about how many beers you drank in these 15 games of beer pong Mm -hmm. with Post Malone they set the over under at 20 and he says way over 20 beers I don't know how many full beers I drank because half the beers were on my clothes (laughs) wow there are perks to winning the Super Bowl how fun is that but I mean, Post Malone, I know you probably are used yeah. to the tour life, but do you really think that Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are not going to dominate you in beer pong? It depends. I mean, you're doing that every night. Kelsey and uh, Mahomes can only do it for half the year because they've got to play for half the season and they're, they're preparing for football games. Literally every single night of Post Malone's life is spent <laughs> in an arena playing beer pong. You know, you're right. I did see him when he came here to St. Louis and he arrived on stage with a red solo cup in hand. There you go. So he was ready to go <laughs> or had been going, I guess. But my question to you, Randy, is I, I love this story because it just sounds like such a fun time. And I love that he upped the ante and then he paid off the bet yep. by getting the, the autograph tattoos. But... Anytime that he shows that off, he's got a great story to tell about a great time. So if this situation was in your hands and you're playing beer pong with any athlete and you have to lose to them and get their John Hancock uh, tattooed on your body, Randy, who are you going with? 
Basically, who do you want to play beer pong with? Who do you think would be the most fun time? And or whose signature would you not mind having tattooed on your body? Well, you know that you're going to play forever and never beat Michael Jordan, right? Right. You're, you're going to have Michael Jordan tattooed on your body because you're not going to stop until he beats you. Uh, so who's it going to be? Um, that you know that, yeah, you know is going to beat you 15 well, times in a row. And yeah, so you want to party here. You This is going to be fun. It's not mm-hmm. going to be... You're not in this for the competition. You're in it for the good time. Totally. Can I go uh, old school? Can I go Charles Barkley? Oh, great call. Yes, you can choose whoever you yeah, want. Thanks. I'll go with him. So I was thinking who, do, which sport, which athlete from which sport would I want to party with? And I think hockey players have to be the answer. After I, after I, That's my answer. Yeah. After I saw the Blues Parade, hockey players can party with the best of them. I think they would be the most fun. And if I'm going to party with any member of the Blues alumni, you know, past or present, you got to go Brad Hall. Yeah. And if it's and current, by the way, a, a current athlete, Mahomes would be fun. But Patrick Maroon would be right there, wouldn't he? Yeah. And I would want him, the autograph to say Big Rig. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> So I don't, I don't know if that's something as a female I'd want to have on my body, but either way. But what about Cardinals players, past or present? Who would you want to play beer pong with? Who would you want to have them their autograph tattooed on your body? This is kind of a random one, but Rex Hudler would be a lot of fun. Rex, he's just such a fun guy. Um, hmm. President, maybe Wonger would be the the present. To play beer pong with? Yeah, and if you're going to get your name tattooed, that'd be a great story. It'd be fun. So my aunt would be, be, be Yadier Molina. Uh-huh. And perhaps a net tack, a neck oh, tag. Oh, interesting. But I would want him to be on my team. I would not want to go against Yadi. Oh, no, you got to have him on your side. You know, I mean, but the whole point is to go against somebody, but I don't want Yadier Molina across the beer pong table staring me down. As I'm trying to rearrange the the cups here. Yeah, you, <laughs> you're intimidated. You're you're intimidated right now just thinking of that. I mean, aren't imagine you? if I try to bounce it. He, yeah. How quick he! I mean, think about trying to run on Yeti. You try to bounce the ball in there. He's going to swat it away so quick. Yeah, it's not going to be a pretty situation. Uh, I'll bet you we have some text. Let's ch- check the text line here. I'll bet we've got some good cardinal. Uh, Somebody says I would definitely say Yachty and Wayno. Wayno would be fun. Somebody says Molina. Somebody says Gronk that they would love to do, play beer oh, pong yeah, with Gronk. That would be call. fun. Giannis, another person checking in saying yeah, Giannis. But he just has to reach over. He's going to beat you. So. Yeah, and if we're going NBA players, I would go Jason Tatum. Yeah. That, right now, I think for us here in St. Louis, I think that's the way we would have yeah, to go. Yeah, local feel, fun guy. Wouldn't mind having his autograph. Because you have to think, like in 30 years, do you really want Giannis tattoo? That's a long name. Yeah. Giannis Attentacumpo. Unless you just have Greek Freak. There you go. I mean, that. Or Freak. <laughs> uh, that's another one as a female. You probably don't just want that or, one. Or a male. Or a male. <laughs> kind of unsettling for a female to yeah. see you having Freak tattooed on your body. But think about that. That's a long name. Giannis Attentacumpo. That is yeah. a long tattoo. You, and Randy, you've got a tattoo I never have, but I don't imagine you would want you would want it to be as brief as possible, right? Definitely. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. You, you want to uh, you want to lose to Ty Law or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or you know, AD, just AD. Yeah, right. Anthony Davis, <laughs> something like that. Something like that. Yeah. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, we have a 
an athlete that's joining the media ranks again. Greg Olson has finally found a broadcast home. Uh, Andrew Marshan of the New York Post, he's always very plugged into this stuff. He reports that Olson has signed a deal with Fox Sports. He's going to be their number two game analyst and work alongside Kevin Burkhart when he finally decides to retire from the league. Do you think this is a good call for Greg Olson? I think it is. I thought he did a good job on the XFL. They've never really effectively replaced John Lynch in that number two booth at Fox. So I think that'll be a good pairing. And the fact that Olsen got the opportunity to get some actual mm-hmm. on-the-job training will benefit him. He'll be good in that booth. I, I thought he did a good job on the XFL. Take it or leave it, Randy. Different segment, same f- format. Other than Peyton Manning, no former athlete is going to, or former NFL player will live up to the standard that Tony Romo has set in the booth. From the perspective of actually the X's and O's and being able to predict plays, take it. However, in terms of entertainment value, once Gronk is in the booth or once Pat McAfee makes his way to a booth, those two will be more entertaining than Tony Romo. I think I'm going to leave it because even though Gronk would be lights out entertainment, I wonder how he would be for the duration of the game. You know, will you peak too soon? Will he be able to bring that same energy in the second half? Does he love it enough? Does he love it enough? Whereas I think Tony Romo, he is able to not only predict plays, but he's able to break it down in such a relatable and palatable way for the average Mm -hmm. sports fan. And the energy and excitement he brings is on another level. He just really is the entire package. And I almost feel badly for any other former player that's getting in an NFL broadcast booth because you're not going to match up to Tony Romo. That's true. Did you see that he had to withdraw from the American Century Championship this weekend in Tahoe. He injured his wrist on Saturday and had to withdraw. How unfair is it that this guy could go out and be a franchise quarterback? He gets seven to a broadcast booth and be lights out at that, and he's an, he's an amazing golfer. He's a multitasker. There's no doubt about it. He is a slashy. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. That is uh, You're Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. We're going to cross things over with Danny Mac. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up at the top of the hour on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, the crossover on 101 ESPN. There will be baseball played on the field at Bush Stadium tonight. And Dan McLaughlin... The voice of the Cardinals is going to be at Bush Stadium, and we will be able to hear Dan and hear and watch baseball. Not an FS Midwest, but this will be on the interwebs that we'll be able to, and we can't wait until we see you on the 24th but uh, of I- July. Right, twenty second. I think we're going to oh, have the Kansas City game. Yeah, the Kansas City exhibition game was officially announced yesterday, so that'll be the first televised game for fans um, on the twenty second, and then tonight it's Cardinals dot com. And again, don't go in with high expectations because I certainly don't have them. Um, <laughs> uh, and as we talked about yesterday, you know, so many teams. If you follow, like I follow, I think every major league team. And so they've been putting out their highlights for, you know, just their workouts and inter-squad games and things like that. So I got a call Thursday and they said, hey, if we can get you down here and we can figure out how to get you behind a microphone and call some inter-squad action or whatever we're doing, situational baseball, whatever it is, um, will you will you come down? And I said, well, to borrow a 
popular phrase during these times of baseball. I said, when and where? Um, so I'll be down there. And um, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I think we're only going to have like maybe three cameras or four cameras, but it'll have a look and feel of baseball. The things awesome. that you're seeing on Twitter and Facebook. And I think I'm not positive about this. So don't hold, hold this against me or hold me to it. But I think we're going to try to pipe in some crowd Good. because it may be mandated by baseball is what I'm hearing. What you need is Michelle and I just behind you going, ah, That's ah, fine. Ah, and ah, wait, I did hear uh, somebody, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what team it was, but yesterday they, they had like a, a home run or you know somebody got picked off and they went, ah, you know, like you heard a crowd oh. noise. And um, I know John Hewlett, the voice uh, of Bush Stadium, the PA voice, has been doing mm-hmm. the intros, and they've had music and different things. And tonight it is Austin Gomber against Jack Flaherty. So if you want right. to watch Jack pitch and Austin Gomber, uh, you can watch that. And I think we come on uh, cardinals.com at around 6, so roughly around that time. Nothing's really etched in stone that they, hey, you got to take the field at this time, but just be hanging around that time, and I think they're going to try to put it on wherever you get your Cardinals content. So it might be Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, but definitely cardinals.com, and you will see, I've seen the lineups. You're going to see your favorite players, Yachty Great. and Goldschmidt and Bader and all those guys are going to be in there, and i got goosebumps right now, and I'm I'm so looking forward to it. I haven't been to Bush Stadium since um, they clinched the Central Division last year and went into the playoffs. It's the last time I've been to Bush Stadium, so I'm excited about it. That was going to be my question to you. From a personal standpoint, you haven't had your routine. We talk about the no. players all the time, but from a broadcaster standpoint, you're going to be at Bush Stadium behind a mic calling live baseball. What does that mean for you? I'm excited. I just I want to go down there. Mike Schilt was texting with me last night, and um, I we were just saying you know how... how odd and weird the season has been for everybody and every walk of life and and things of that nature and uh everybody's routine and whatever business you're in it's it's been upended you know Mm -hmm. um so yeah my routine has been completely upended because normally at this time of life for me in the summer months i have a routine of going down to the ballpark and calling a game and so It'll be uh, back to a little bit of normalcy, I guess, of getting down there um, like three or four o'clock because we're, we're going <laughs> to. I'd hate to set all this up, but it doesn't work. That would be terrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to try to get all this stuff done and figure out how we're going to do it. And um, I, I, it's a guy named Matt Shedd and Jared Hawkup and Craig Wilson and Tony Simakaitis. These guys work in the scoreboard room. And they work really hard and long hours down there. And we're all going to just try to make it work. And it's funny, we have, we have to be socially distanced, obviously. And um, and Craig, I was talking to him last night. I'm like, so how are we going to make this uh, all go? And he said, well, you know, I may just have to pop my head in the booth and say, Dan, a camera too. It's not really <laughs> going all that well. Go to... Look at three on your mind. Oh, okay, got it. You know, but we'll make it work. And just for everybody that's listening out there, bear with us. But we're we're gonna have images down there at the ballpark and take it in, enjoy it, and 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 as long as we have baseball, have fun with it. And uh, that's what I'm gonna try to. I may go into Harry Doyle tonight. I don't know. Love it. You know, we'll just we'll have fun with it. Danny, as you know, Michelle and I have had this show for two and a half months, so we aren't in a position yet to make demands. We make pleas. Yeah, you can not demands. Okay, but what our plea is this. And we started the campaign this morning. On opening day, the 24th, we want to see the Clydesdales on TV circling the ballpark. And I've been thinking about that, too. Mm-hmm. 
I've been thinking about that too. So and hear that so, organ? Yeah, oh, you yeah. know people. So and you might even be able to make a demand rather yeah. than a plea. I would say so. so. Uh, we're hoping that somebody from the Cardinals will call somebody from the brewery or vice versa, and we can get the Clydesdales on TV circling the track on opening day. You never know. Oh, you never know. Maybe that would happen. It's a must. I uh, <laughs> here comes the king, man. I'm envisioning it in my mind. This long, dark, hollow road that we've had from spring training to now, no baseball. A weird opening day, but it's still opening day. And you hear that song, and you see those horses. You guys, it's a must. Dan, make some calls. It's a must. I'll make some calls. I I can tell you this though. I have zero pull. So I, I make suggestions, and they go, okay, great, Dan, click. Um, well, one of the things that we talked about for tonight is that, um, again, it's not a normal game. It's an inter-squad game, and for me, even, it'll be kind of difficult because they in these inter-squad games, they go to what I've been told is they go into situational stuff, too. So mm-hmm. they may go to two outs, and they'll say, hey, we may just throw a runner at second base, right, and just kind of deal with it, right? And work Hello, from- extra innings. Right. Work work from the stretch here, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, Bader's now at second base, and uh, just just work with it. Well, I said to uh, our group, I said, so what are we going to do for commercial break? Do you just want me to just kind of talk or maybe ask people for questions or whatever? And they said, you know, we, we've thought about maybe doing scenes from past opening days as a commercial hmm. break. Hmm. Um, maybe we go to videos that we've had of the kiss cam or stuff that you would see when you're at the ballpark to um, kind of remind folks what baseball is all about and what's it like in St. Louis. And I said, that's that's a cool idea. Maybe we do that. So if you're watching tonight, you may be seeing some of those images, right. which would be kind of cool. Looking forward to it. Just can't wait to see some ball. Yeah, I, I am too. I, um, I'm really looking forward to watching Gomber and Flaherty. These are two of the, the guys that I'm really curious about what what they're bringing to the table. I've been also thinking about um, the the young guys that will make debuts this year. I yeah. think we're going to see a ton of debuts ton across of. the board in Major League Baseball because the rosters are going to be at 30 to start the year. And I started thinking, well, if if a player makes a debut, obviously it's unique because it's um, there's nobody in the stands. Mm-hmm. So the pressure of making a debut with nobody in the stands is easier, harder, but yet you know everybody in the world might be watching. Yeah, right. So, you know, your debut is seen by more people on TV, potentially, but yet you walk into the game on the field and you look around and, well, nobody's really booing, no one's cheering. But especially here, no standing ovation. No standing ovation. Now. A lot of seats and a lot of decks to the stadium, but yet uh, your quote unquote ESPN moment, good or bad, could be you know seen by everyone. You know yeah. what I mean? It's 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 weird. Did you ever I, hear uh, BT? Oh, yeah, with, his, with his Scott DP, Rowland. Yeah, that's the yeah. one I thought of. Yeah, a lot of people here, huh? Yeah, <laughs> flip the ball to him and goes, man. A lot of bleeping people here, huh? <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. And he actually said no pressure. No pressure. But see, I, I kind of liken it to radio 
we sit in this room and it's just us. It's our teammates here and we're just doing our craft and we really can't conceptualize how many people are listening. When I did the, I do interviews here every day and don't get nervous to do it anymore. When I was on the field at the Battlehawks games and I could look around the stadium and actually take in how many people were watching me interview someone, it was a completely different feel. So I wonder if it's not going to just be another day for them. Well, I I liken it to this, and we all have emceed events, right? Right. Um, people say, well, what's it like doing an opening day where our viewership is through the roof? Um, or a clincher, where I think our viewership is through the roof, or you know a big moment is happening. So, for instance, like if a no-hitter is going on, and I, I know our viewership is going through the roof, and I say, no big deal. Right. And they say, well, what's it like going to speak in front of 300 people? I said, it's really hard. Yeah. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it's it's totally a different animal. I, I think speaking in front of people is so much harder than yeah, doing definitely. this kind of stuff. Agree. It's totally different, and it's harder. When Was it Flaherty that was throwing the no-hitter in San Francisco a couple of years ago? It was uh, two years ago. It was the day before um, the All-Star break, yeah. and the third baseman, Evan Longoria, hit a home run. Right. And you guys, it either showed up on the screen. Did you guys mention it? Did you mention it? We did not. Uh, now, I know Tim you, did. you had the graphic. Maybe it was Tim. Tim, well, Tim probably mentioned it after the second pitch of the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, because I, I remember. Uh, I did not. Tim did. I do it. I do it. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't just to mess with it. I don't, you know. So uh, I have fun with it. And I was, uh, I mentioned, uh, I think on Twitter, I said, you know, it really doesn't matter. Those guys have no idea. But then Wayno got into the the Twitter conversation and said, "Well, it is kind of a thing." Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you, you know the the players definitely don't talk about Not it. Not down there. No, I mean they. You talk about being socially distanced. Hitter, they're socially distanced for the most part. I mean, guys, when they go, when the when the pitchers got it going, I mean, you look at them in the dugout, and they're pretty much away from him. Um, now, Tim during a broadcast will. Mention it all the time. All the time. Now, he's called a perfect game, and he was mentioning a perfect game. It was David Cohn's perfect game uh-huh. when he was doing the Mets, or the Yankees, I believe it was, and um, Yankees for sure. And he was doing the play-by-play and was saying, you know, David Cohn is is throwing a perfect game, and it was the day that Don Larson was back throwing a, uh honorary first pitch who threw perfect in, game. In the World Series, yeah. Right. So um, when Waka was doing his thing, and he was one out away, I don't Washington. I, yeah, against Washington and Ryan Zimmerman hit the little chopper that just got over his head. I think I had mentioned it, or maybe I didn't. I can't remember. But and Flaherty also had one against the Phillies three years ago mm-hmm. on a Sunday afternoon that almost got it. So it's been close. Johan Santana had the one against uh, the Cardinals, um, the only Mets no hitter, 134 pitches that Not day. Really? It's, yeah, there was a fair ball by Beltron down yeah. the third base line. Now, I did mention that one. I was like, Santana's got a no-hitter, and you know the Mets have never had a no-hitter. I mean, I kept mentioning that one. No one gave me trouble that night. Yeah. Ron <laughs> talks about how Burley, like after the fifth inning, during his perfect game, came in and said, guys, I got a perfect game going. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, it is funny. I mean, fans, Nobody will say it except for the pitcher. And it seems like when we always have one going, I'm working with Tim, and Tim will bring it up, and then I just get... I mean, people, social media goes oh, bananas. People it? go crazy. What yeah. do you? I mean, where do you guys stand on this thing? I, I, I totally talk about it, uh, and I, I probably would if I were in your position. Yeah, you, know, you get to the sixth and seventh inning, but you do it such a 
in such a perfect way. You know, hey, there's something special going on here. Mm-hmm. You don't mention no hitter. Uh, what a perf- what a fantastic performance. Yeah. Take um, a look at the box score. You may notice something special yeah. is happening right. here. Stuff like that. Yeah. Right. And oh. and as you said. We are showing, there's a graphic going on there that yeah. says no hitter. So technically, I'm not saying it. Exactly. Right? So, so I'm off the hook. Do you feel any superstition by that? I mean, um, I know you're you're trying to frame it in a certain way to as to appease the audience and people that yeah. do feel a certain, a certain superstition about it. I don't. I mean, but I play along with it because I think it's yeah. fun. It is fun. And it, I know the audience is having fun with it, so I, I don't want to upset them. You know, and and you don't want to be the reason, Dan. If, if yeah. every night, like if <laughs> if, if, if on Tuesday night you're saying two runs, three hits, no errors for the Cardinals, uh, no runs, two hits, one error for the Pirates, and then the next night you're saying three runs, four hits, no errors for the Cardinals, no runs, no hits, no errors for the Pirates. You, you, that's something that you do every night. Well, the other thing too, I'm on TV, so yeah, and you have that line score there. That's correct. Now, if I'm doing radio and I've got to do the you know, I got to tell everybody what's going on. I'm the eyes and ears there. That's a different story. Mm-hmm. But if TV and you can see it, well, I kind of got, you know, I'm getting away with it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, come on, work with me here. Hey, we're looking forward to a great scoops with Danny Mac. I got Dave Matter coming up. Good. He's fantastic. Good man. Yeah. Um, really curious what he thinks college football is going to do. So, you know, the SEC uh, commissioners met in uh, Birmingham, Alabama yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, or the uh, the ADs, I guess, right. with the commissioner. And um, so we'll find out what's going on and see if they can't try to get together and play football. It, it I do find it fascinating that they, they the NCAA just doesn't have leadership. And so now all these commissioners are just kind of leading their own conferences and just doing what they want. Yeah. So we'll see what the SEC wants to do. Mark Emmer is the worst. Not a lot of leadership there. None. So, see what happens. Thank you, sir. Okay, guys, thanks. Uh, Tanner Hendrickson doing a great job as our producer engineer today. Thank you. And, Michelle, thank you. It was great. Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow. And uh, we'll be talking about Cardinal Baseball and Blues Hockey again. We're talking sports tomorrow uh, for (laughs) all of us. That's nice. It is. Thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show till tomorrow at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Carriker and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN.